0: Everybody, and welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. My name is Zuby. If you're brand new to the show, the show is all about a little well-known card game called Magic the Gathering. So on today's episode, we brought on none other than Michelle, aka Kiln Fiend Potter from the Lorgois podcast, the popular Vorthos podcast, and brought her on to talk about Vorthos, Godzilla, Pottery, God, D&D. We talked about some magic in there, um, Ikoria, and... Ugh, so much more. I'm sure that we talked about so everything we even talked about samurais and Japan and all that stuff. It was so much fun. Um, so before we get into that, let me just get some announcements out of the way. Uh, this podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio and Spotify. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Magic with Zuby, on Instagram at Magic underscore with underscore Zuby, And you can email me with any questions you may have at MTGZubi at gmail.com. And if you want to help support the show in any way possible, you can look at the show's Patreon at patreon.com slash magicazubi and here are some other little announcements before we get into the interview with michelle and here we go well hey there zoe why the long face there chum
1: i just want to order some magic cards but the shipping was too expensive
0: too expensive? Well, did you know if you go to LegitMTG.com you can order any Magic cards and anything over $2 or more has free shipping.
1: Wow, free shipping at LegitMTG.com That's amazing!
0: You heard that right, Zoe. Free shipping at LegitMTG.com with any order over $2 or more. Be sure to visit today and get the best deal on Magic Singles and Magic Sealed product available.
1: Wow, that's amazing! And
0: that is how you beat the latest standard meta with Abzan.
2: Ugh, it feels like there's no magic content out there for someone like me. Someone who doesn't want to be competitive. Someone who is...
0: Who is... a normie?
2: Yeah, exactly! A normie!
0: Well, have I got the show for you, the all-new Magic for Normies show.
2: Hi, I'm Pixie.
0: And I'm Zuby.
2: Together, we host the all-new Magic Magic for for normies. Normies. It is the Magic the Gathering show for all your normie needs. We don't care what deck got into the top eight or what deck is winning. We care about having fun playing magic.
0: That's right, Pixie. You can watch us on Pixie's Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash PixieKittenPlays and catch the VOD on her YouTube channel, PixieKittenPlays. If audio is your thing, you can find episodes on the Magic with RSS feed.
2: (laughs) Do-do-do-do-do. Magic for normies.
0: Alright, hey, it's Zuby here, and I have with me Michelle Rapp, a.k.a. on, you probably know her more from Twitter, on at kiln, um, who makes a lot of freaking awesome pottery. And um, you're also the co-host of the Lorgoyz podcast, and are you
2: still a Card Kingdom writer? I am still a Card Kingdom okay. writer. I haven't written in a while, mostly because lore, up until very recently, <laughs> has been kind of not great, um, yeah. but... Hopefully, with this new story, I per- I personally think so. I just finished it. Oh, you um, did?
0: Oh, okay, cool. Yeah.
2: I just I, I just inhaled it. It was like um, <laughs> it was like a breath of fresh air after being stuck in a dank basement for like months.
1: <laughs> yeah. Ah, so,
2: oh, give me that that beautiful, beautiful fresh air. So, um, I, I have a feeling I will probably be back in action soon. Um, awesome. Just because, yeah, just because it's um, it's just been a while since we've had some good content. Oh so yeah, I'm that's excited. for
0: sure. So so as far so if other people aren't aware, uh Michelle's also really, really, really into magic lore. It, a pretty much like one of the, the top Vorthos people that I at least I follow on Twitter. Um
2: oh, Thank you. <laughs> uh,
0: you're welcome. And um and so I yeah, I wanted to bring you on just to talk about, you know, your content and I love following you and seeing a lot of your pottery stuff too and um <laughs> yeah so how's it going how how are you first of all how's your uh was it did you pull your back or something or
2: oh my god yeah or was it your shoulder ah both
0: oh (laughs) oh damn
2: (laughs) (laughs) so um let's okay so i am a potter i'm an artist Mm -hmm. um i i split my time um, somewhat unevenly between um, making actual things out of clay and also uh, creating content for Magic the Gathering. And these are so far my two biggest passions in life, besides, say, like cats as as a creature also the movie which is ridiculous and wonderful but um (laughs) but um since i came back from vacation um the world decided to shut down because there's a pandemic
1: yeah
2: and i am not the best person in terms of keeping a my body i guess as up to snuff as i used to because before everything went down i used to go and like work out and like stretch and everything on a regular yep. basis
0: yep. so yep. i without, right there with you
2: <laughs> yeah so without that i think my body has gotten a lot less flexible and limber um and when i got my wheel my potter's wheel into the house i was really excited so i just kind of threw myself at that and as a result i think i i think i just didn't take the proper physical precautions necessary to um to continue my craft and and this okay. is how i pulled my trap muscle Ooh. my trapezius muscle and i definitely did something to my arm so my trapezius muscle seems to be totally fine now oh,
1: that's
2: um, good. but my arm it does still feel a little like blah. so um i'm it's a little frustrating because the rest of my body feels great
0: so being completely ignorant in terms of like how you make pottery and all that stuff. Is it like physically demanding on your on your upper body like that? or
2: it can be. yeah. so um I throw there's different ways of creating ceramics. Um, I throw on the wheel and then I alter my um the the forms that I create on the wheel. Um, by adding handles or, or decorations or the accoutrement, I also do a lot of drawing and surface decoration. I do have some background in illustration and graphic okay. design. So um, when it comes to throwing on the wheel, I don't know if – like the best reference that anyone has is probably Ghost to Yep. <laughs> <movies. laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and unfortunately, um, the ghost of Patrick Swayze does not come with every potter's wheel. Well,
1: damn much it.
2: Too- much to everyone's disappointment. Um, so normally when you're when you're on the wheel, you have to uh, it's it's a very fun. I love it so much because you combine not only like aesthetics and artistic design but also science. So there's a lot of mm. physics when you throw on the wheel. It spins. I'm um, I a mean, right-handed, so it spins in a counterclockwise motion. Uh, you can adjust the spinning um, speed. But really, uh, a lot of the force just has to come with centering that ball of clay um, and uh, making sure that the, par- the individual like, particulates within the clay align correctly as you're pulling up walls and stuff like that. So there's a lot of uh, back and arm and upper body strength that goes into, I guess, basically pushing against the natural counterclockwise centrifugal force of the wheel. Um, because if you push in on it in a counterclockwise or in a up and down motion, um, you help center that clay and centering the clay helps to create like even thicknesses of walls and symmetrical forms and things like that. So okay. it's, it's a lot, I don't know if this is making sense. Um, feel I, mean, free
0: to I, ask. I, I, I think I'm following you. It's, um, like I said, I know nothing about it. That's why I was just, I'm, I was curious.
2: Yeah, yeah. It basically if you've taken any like physics or if you understand like how um you don't even have to know that, but it's sort of my best way of trying to describe sort of well, the reason why a lot of strength is involved because uh, you're basically pushing several pounds of material into a a centered mass that okay. is even as possible on all sides. So you're basically creating like a circle. And if you think about like, you know, when you're um, when you're, if you've got like a food processor or a blender and sometimes yeah. you put something chunky in there and you take off the lid and it's going so fast, so it spins out. Right. So mm-hmm. imagine like trying to control with your, with your upper body strength, the materials in that blender to keep it in the damn blender.
0: I <laughs> so, see what you mean. Okay. Okay. That makes so sense. Kind of, now, yeah. Does, I, I guess it also depends on how much clay you're actually using too.
1: Absolutely. It,
0: And and does it matter the type of clay? Like, is there different materials that are easier to handle than others?
2: Absolutely. That's a really great question. So um, there's different kinds of clay out there, um, as is evidenced by museums and stuff like that. Um, But. All clay kind of um, clay in its in its rawest form like comes from alluvial soil, which is the soil that you find in the silt uh, next to like rivers or like places where rivers have passed through in the past. and so, um, a lot of that normal clay uh, tends to be chock full of not just um, actual clay particles, but also things like mineral deposits, um, metals, things like that. So um, depending on the size and the composition of your clay, you can actually yield some really interesting results um, with regards to like the color and consistency and texture. But you can also, um, it also makes a difference to how you're throwing it too. So it's a little bit like, If you're making a a sauce on the stove, for example, Mm -hmm. and you want like a really – say you're making like a beautiful, I don't know, bechamel sauce. And you want to be like really beautiful and smooth and creamy uh, because you want that to go really nicely with whatever you're putting the bechamel sauce on, like a – I don't know, a potatoes gratin or something like that. Um, Or if you want something really chunky that goes on a brisket. You know, like that, that way you've got the softness of the brisket, like contrasted with the chunkiness of say some carrots and celery and things like that. So um, each of these sauces, each of these clays are are legitimate in their own right. It's just a matter of like what you want to use that for. Like I wouldn't necessarily want to use a bechamel sauce for a brisket and you wouldn't necessarily want to use brisket sauce for uh, potatoes au gratin. So that or maybe sense. you would. Yeah. You, maybe you would. I don't know. It's uh, up to you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> No, no, uh, I, I think yeah. I, I think I get where you're, you're coming from. Um, and one more question, I, I know probably we're starting off right here, not even talking about magic, but hey, <laughs> this is this is the kind of stuff that I enjoy learning about because I know nothing about it. Um, it's when you're, I guess, where do you get your clay from? I mean, I know you can go to like, um, you know, places like Michaels or Joanne's or, or any kind of like you know mom and pop sort of art shop to buy clay, but is for someone like you who does this a lot, do you find yourself I'm not getting like importing clay from places around the world or 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 I, I don't know, I guess just answer it from there.
2: <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good question as well. So the clay that you find in places like Joanne's and Michaels, like that's clay too, but it, technically that's a polymer clay, um, typically. Okay. And So you, that's sort of the clay that sets up. It's still like a clay, but it's set. It's not the same clay in a sense that the uh, of, in the sense of like Potter's clay. Um, normally those are the kinds of clays that either air dry or you put in your oven, and they're like really lovely to handle, typically. Um, you can throw with them, I think. But, ah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Potter's, Potter's clay, on the other hand, um, I get my clay from my studio. Um, so, I used to work out of a communal studio here in San Francisco, um, which has since been, like, shut down. They're yeah. kind of, they're still doing some operations, but it's very reduced. As you can probably tell in a wet and wild kind of hobby slash profession like pottery it's it's almost impossible to disinfect everything so oh yeah i guess
0: i didn't think of that
2: yeah Yeah, so obviously there's no way the the studio could stay open while um the pandemic is is going on but um they actually get that clay so we actually have about like 10 12 kinds of clay and a lot of that clay comes from different places so Um, what's very interesting is that actually a lot of this clay comes from the Southeastern United States out of places like Kentucky, Tennessee, um, South Carolina, that whole, like that whole part of the Southeastern United States. Um, because it's like more wet and there's like the Mississippi and tons of really great rivers that run through it. There are a lot of really great clay mines and deposits. And so, um, There, a lot of the clay in the United States tends to come from that area. You can import clay from like other places, but I guess if you want to be real fancy about that, that costs a lot of money, as you could probably imagine.
0: Well, I I guess my question on more importing clay from around the world, like, is there is, is there like a best type of clay that comes from somewhere, and and would it be something that's sought after by potters like you?
2: yeah um so of course it depends it's a lot like so asking that question is a lot like asking you know what kind of pan as a chef would you want (laughs) would you would you recommend and it's like ah but there are so many different kinds of pans that you can use for different things and that's kind of the same deal like for example so for example like Porcelain, which is very very difficult to work with because the granules are very fine and very tiny, which is great because you can throw these amazingly thin transparent walls. Like if you ever get a porcelain, like one of those thin porcelain teacups, and you hold it up to the light, you can see through it. Yeah, super cool. Um, and yet it's so strong and light. That kind of porcelain, um, some of the finest porcelain comes from Jingdezhen, China, um, and that. Well, the reason why porcelain is able to have those properties is because it's actually not entirely clay. It's a mixture of like gypsum, feldspar, quartz, um, a lot of interesting rocks and minerals that are ground together and formulate, like, formulized in order to create this. And that's the thing about clay too. It's rare that you can ever just get clay out of the ground and work with it. Some potters do do that. But a lot of modern potters, um, like the, a part of what their material is does come out of the ground, but it's often combined with other materials, minerals, um, metals, etc., in order to create a certain effect. So there's that. There's also a really fantastic clay from Yixing, China um, – that is renowned for uh, smaller teapots. And the reason why that particular clay is so sought after is because it um, actually absorbs a lot of the tea's natural tannins and flavors and whatnot. So if you use the same tea over and over again within that teapot, it gets to the point where the buildup can actually just produce its own tea. You no longer even have to add tea leaves to that. Mm, that's teapot. interesting. Yeah, it's a really fascinating thing. So. It, it really depends on what you want. There's actually a fantastic, also, um, uh, clay mining uh, clay mine in France, um, which was the first uh, place outside of China to produce china chinese grade porcelain um and that's one of, and the reason why they were able to do this because they have a really good feldspar mine out there mm-hmm. um but uh they have one of the i think it's Limoges actually um but they have like one of the finest porcelain in the world because they're able to produce it from um natural resources there so i hope that answers your question <laughs> that blows my mind wow <laughs> wow yeah. that's
0: um that's it's, see, th- this has come from someone who knows nothing about that. It's so. I guess one more quick question. I'm I'm sorry, yeah. listeners. It's I'm so like fascinated by this. So, a lot of the ceramics that gets mass produced today is that mm-hmm. made how you make pottery, or is there, or is that just all manufactured by machines now?
2: Um. So mostly the latter. But let me. But let me tell you why. And um. Also, for in terms of functionality, um, they both are the same. Um, a lot of so the reason why when you go to a farmer's market or an art like expo and you see ceramics and you're like why is this mug like 50 bucks it's because you know somebody made it with their hands and it's not mass produced and it's like yeah. a one of the kind situation so it's an artisanal craft um, and normally those pieces are not what we call slip cast so there are different ways to work with clay um, one is just working with clay and it's like ballish wall like ballish form um and like in a in a in a malleable solid you uh, There's a ballish enough, form ballish form i guess okay. like a ball <laughs> okay,
0: okay.
2: <laughs> or like just like a solid form another way of uh, handling clay and working with it is to basically reduce it to a liquid so you uh combine clay with water and maybe a couple of other um like molecular um, chemical bits Uh, not chemical in the sense that it will hurt you but in the sense that you know there's like ways to naturally suspend the clay particulates within the water so that way you don't end up with all the clay like sinking to the bottom of your suspension liquid Um, so you can have that and then when you pour you can pour it into say like a mold like a plaster mold and wait for the wait for the plaster to wick away all of that moisture and they can pop that like that finished piece right out of that mold and then you can use that mold again uh, to create a nearly duplicate piece and that's pretty much how all modern like you go to jc penny's or i don't know if jc Penney's is around anymore but like if you go to macy's or actually i don't know if macy's is around anymore if you go to a department store or a yeah. key and you grab um, some of the ceramics from there that's how they get made. And like no no shade on them. I know people who work with slip um, and who do slip molds. There's some so many cool things you can do with it like um, there is one artist, Brett Kern in particular. He creates molds out of inflatable dinosaurs and he uses a slip cast to mold ceramic, porcelain inflatable dinosaurs. What? <laughs> it's so cool. It's Uh-oh. like the coolest thing.
0: <laughs> what His name was Brett what again?
2: Brett, Brett Kern. Kern. Uh, like a kernel of corn.
0: Alright, so Brett Kern's ceramics. All right. I just got to see this inflatable dinosaur stuff.
2: Yeah, inflatable oh. dinosaurs. It's so cool. And the reason I've, I've held his pieces and what's so cool about like slip casting is that you can create these beautiful thin Pieces and I've held his work. It is so light, like not even a not even half a pound. So so wait, these
0: aren't actually inflatable. These are actual um, like Port. Wait, what? Oh, oh, okay. So yeah, okay. They're zooming in on it. Yeah, you can tell. All right, just just from. so, you know, I may link this in the show notes, his his website, because from a far away picture, it looks exactly like an inflatable dinosaur. But then they zoom yeah. in on it and you can tell the the porcelain and all that. That's yeah, crazy.
2: It it's fantastic. And it's really difficult to get one of his pieces. I want one, but um, I have cats and I'm just oh like and God. I have a one bedroom apartment and I don't know where I'd put it where they would not destroy it. So yeah, I know uh, know, know the, I know the
0: feeling. (laughs) It's like we 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 um we've lived in this house for God how many years now? Like seven, Mm -hmm. eight years, and we, I mean, when we first moved in, um, you know, we we just bought some crappy furniture just to you know have a couch and all that stuff, and we haven't gotten rid of that crappy couch yet because of the cats. Because we know (laughs) as soon as we get a nicer couch, they'll just ruin it.
2: Yeah, no, I, um, we were hoping to move to Boston, um, Ooh. roughly like in a month or two, but obviously that's not yeah. happening. Um, but we were, at least I was looking up possible furniture options, um, for when we upgrade from our Ikea couch <laughs> and it's, it's tricky finding something that's pet proof, especially with cats.
0: Yeah. What my mom does, cause she has a cat, I guess, um, cause they've got this really nice, sectional couch um and what they do is when they I, I guess they put tin foil on the top of the the couch and on on the seats that they're not using at the time and apparently mm-hmm. it detracts their cats away i don't know
2: yeah that's that's definitely one thing that i've heard i've heard also that microfiber um couches like material is like a little hardier and uh that is something you could probably find that looks pretty decent so that's kind of what I've been sort of leaning towards but I do like the tinfoil idea but but yeah so yeah ceramics super cool um and slip thing
0: (laughs) yeah so this Brett Karn oh my sorry I'm just going through some of his pictures and he's got this like life-sized uh was it Raphael uh Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like statue thing going
2: yeah i want that (laughs) (laughs) um it's so it's so amazing like the fact that um like people when they think of ceramics they always think of like you know that's something your aunt picks up and then she makes like these big you know like mugs that no one can lift because there's too much clay in it or something but actually there's a ton of really amazing things that um you can do with clay clay is an amazing material it's so um it's just it's just fantastic and i mean when i don't know there's a lot of like i know there's a lot of religious texts that talk about like people being made of clay and i'm like i can kind of see that because clay is amazing (laughs) and you can make some crazy cool things out of it
0: It, you've kind of blown my mind about all this it's um and yeah I, i i love it it's awesome
2: yeah, if um, there's a fantastic site uh, called I think Ceramics Monthly, and a lot of the stuff there can be kind of sometimes it can be stodgy, but occasionally you find these crazy amazing pieces that are just crazily like mind blowing. And of course, there's like politics and stuff like that inside the world as well. But that's, overall, that's any
0: that's
1: any that's thing, any
2: world thing. really. But <laughs> but there are so many like possibilities outside just what you traditionally think of pottery outside of what you traditionally think um when you get exposed to it inside like games like civilization or whatever
1: (laughs) yeah yeah
2: yeah Yeah. so (laughs) super super amazing things and brett kern also does these really cool like inflatable astronauts um another artist that works really well in slip casting is, um, Sean Forrest. He does forest Co. ceramics and he actually plays magic as well. Like, oh, cool. yeah, we've, we've slung some spells in the studio. Um, and he lives in Orcas islands, Seattle, but he does these amazing, beautiful colored slip pieces that look like sunsets and rainbows. And he does intricate carving, um, really down to earth, wonderful person. Um, hope he's doing okay <laughs>
0: that's awesome so yeah. sp- speaking of the pandemic how are you doing like how's it how's it going over there in um california
2: um right so san francisco and california um i think we're very lucky um i think that a lot of other states were not necessarily as ahead of the game um granted i don't think we were necessarily ahead of the game if you look at it on a, on a worldwide scale but oh yeah. um, Gavin Newsom, um, who is the governor of California, and London Breed, who is the mayor, of Cal- uh, mayor of San Francisco, like, for like the uh, the major companies like let off the charge with um, enforcing everyone just just to work from home. No one coming into the offices. These are companies they're massive here, like Facebook, Google, Microsoft, um, LinkedIn, Oracle, etc. Like Twitter, all of those places immediately. Um, I think even two weeks before the the citywide shutdown um, told their people to go home and to work from home. Um, And that was, I think, in early March. And then two weeks later, London Breed did um, shut down the city, basically. Uh, So we're sheltering in place. And then I think maybe a few days later, the state called for a shelter in place. I think that's been really instrumental in trying to keep all of this, like, in check. I know a lot of other states have not been so great. I know New yeah, York is. Time, Florida, <laughs> oh Florida finally God. decided to issue a state shelter-in-place effect. Thank goodness, because yeah, on April first they, they
0: decided to do, or April second it was like it took you guys long enough, you morons. Sorry.
2: <laughs> I no no no. I honestly, i just I I get really concerned because like my father lives in Florida. He lives outside of Orlando, and like he's northwards of 60. Um, there's, and he's not the only one Florida has an amazing, has a really dense, like aging population. And so they're one of the most vulnerable States. Um,
0: yeah. And it's insane. Like I, um, you know, I've been the one in my household, you know, going out, getting groceries, picking up stuff and all that. And Michelle, it's, I, I probably don't even need to tell you it's, because you've probably seen all the Florida man memes. It's no one's taking this seriously here, and it's pretty scary. Like I almost had a full-blown panic attack going grocery shopping in Walmart because no one's like doing the whole social distancing thing. And
2: oh, jeez, I'm so sorry.
0: And yeah. I mean, I mean, there are people doing it, but then there's just idiots who are thinking it's all a hoax and all that stuff. And.
2: Oh no, here, at, at least in San Francisco, it seems like people are taking it seriously. Like we have people wearing masks. Uh, we have everyone, um, it, it's gotten to the point where, I think this is in, this is the case for other places too, but like all of the grocery stores, et cetera, now have uh, park, parking cones that tell you like where to stand and whatnot, so people are taking it seriously. San Francisco, I think in particular, is uh, doing its best. That being said, though, like, um, I know we, we don't want to talk, talk too much about politics, but like San Francisco in particular has been a difficult place to live and to afford to live in before yeah. this went down. And so suddenly having, um, thank goodness we don't have a scarcity of food, but um, it, it's, beca- it's throwing a lot of things into relief, for example, the gig economy and, you know, making sure yeah. that People who are working in the service industry are being protected and are given their due and well-deserved labor rights for risking their lives to make sure that people like me get oat milk <laughs> like that.
0: Yeah, no, I 100 percent understand yeah. and agree with that. It's just that and, and I'm not saying the businesses here aren't, you know, trying to enforce the social distancing. They are. It's just mm-hmm. the population. Just so. Many- yeah so many freaking idiots it's
2: (laughs) it's i mean california is definitely still not perfect but i i am lucky that at least in my neighborhood um where i live near japantown um you know we've got a good we've got a good group of people who who seem sincere about doing this together and about trying to look out for one in one another because this sucks (laughs) and Yeah. yeah But otherwise, I know like I'm doing okay other than the back injury. Like I'm yeah. doing. Um, I I really wish I could say that other people doing better. My, uh, my um, husband is working from home. Oh, that's luckily, good. luckily, he and I get along really well. So <laughs> I, we're not like at each other's throats. We have two cats. Um, I think. a a family of pigeons has settled in across the alley from us. So now we're very aware of what's going on there. Um, But otherwise, you know, we're doing okay. I'm keeping myself as entertained as possible with what we've got. Um, I've been watching a lot of like dungeons and dragons. um, Let's play stuff. That's been getting me through a lot.
0: Yeah. I've been starting to finally watch critical role. The, the, second campaign because i've never really been that into watching let's play D. &D, even though i love even though i love D &D and been playing it for a long time um it's i can see why everybody loves critical role now Though i'm like 12 or 13 episodes in
2: yeah uh, if you like critical role i haven't seen critical role yet but i've been watching dimension 20 uh, which is college humors um Let's play, and the DM Brennan Lee mulligan, um not gonna lie. I have a massive crush on him. He's so wholesome and wonderful. And in real life, he actually is a camp counselor for a uh, a larp summer camp.
1: Ooh.
2: And, and he doesn't he doesn't take salary from that position. He takes that salary and donates it back to the camp. Well, so I'm cool. just like, I'm just like, you're so wholesome and sweet. and how are you so good? Just a, uh, I don't know, I think DMs bring a lot of their own personality to their campaigns. It's almost impossible not to. So he definitely has this very like dad energy that he brings in. Um, cool. If that makes any sense. like the most wholesome dad energy possible.
0: You said it's dimension twenty.
2: Mm-hmm. Dimension Twenty, and uh, I believe tomorrow they are premiering their newest season. It's called um, a Crown of Candy, and it's basically like Candyland meets Game of Thrones.
0: Okay, <laughs> it's a strain, but uh, I mean, it's D and D. You can make anything work. Yeah, he's uh,
2: yeah. Previous campaigns were Fantasy High, so D and D. Oh,
0: okay, okay. I've heard of that
2: yeah and then also the unsleeping city which i just finished okay um it's, it's D meets new york city and as someone who really loves new york city i was like yes this is great oh,
0: that's cool that's yeah cool. yeah it's um when, when i watched critical role it just gets me uh, well because i i'm one of those forever dms like i enjoy being a dm way more than being a player um but it's when I watch critical role it's, I know everybody likes to focus on Matt Mercer and all that, but I look at his players. They're like amazing role players and all that oh it's. God. And, and, and a lot of these like high production D D shows, they have like amazing players. And sometimes I wish, I wish my players were like that sometimes.
2: <laughs> it's so interesting too, because in critical role, I think everyone is a voice actor to some extent, yeah. but in dimension 20, everyone's a sketch, like a sketch comedy person. Like if they oh, do like,
0: improv- so like improv, yeah.
2: It's all improv. And so it's it's a different flavor, and I think that's one of the reasons why I love it so much. Like I think I've heard it described as critical roles like Ravenclaw and Dimension Twenty is Hufflepuff.
0: <laughs> and that's I, awesome. I-
2: It's a really great description because Critical Role is like very much like, wow, serious. But then not that Dimension 20 isn't serious, but there's a levity to it that is just and they're just so good at playing off each other, too, because they're, they're improv. Yeah, and it's um it's it's really really fun. So, um, ten out of ten stars. Would would watch again. <laughs> awesome. I bought I bought their merch. If you if you are a fan of the McElroy family at all, like oh, they
0: the, um shoot, what are they? Uh, I, I listened to a few of their, their very first episodes. Um,
2: tiny heist.
0: No. Um. Oh my gosh! It's like when they had their dad with them. They did the Lost Minds of Fandelver
2: yes oh the oh. adventure zone
0: yeah the adventure zone that's right
2: so um if you like them they actually come on to dimension 20 and tiny heist is the name of their season so it's a okay. it's a it's another custom homebrew setting about like tiny fairies and, and tiny people and toys and bugs all coming together to do a big heist to steal a roll of quarters it's so good <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh man, that's funny. My my current D and D group. Um, so I've been like the past year or so, I've been trying to work on getting the D and D scene up in my local area, um, mm-hmm. at my LGS. And it before the pandemic, we were having D and D games happening every single night, even multiple D and D games happening every single night. Um, I'm afraid with this whole pandemic, my LGS is gonna just completely go away, which sucks. But, um. So, a few of my players we got together and you know have been playing on Roll 20, and our current campaign is like a mix of the Godfather meets National Treasure.
2: I love that, that sounds amazing.
0: <laughs> it's um, I have them um, in a city because I have a homebrew world that I've been working on since I was 18, and um, it's this city is run by four families. I mean, pretty much think of it as like a fantasy 1980s New York that's run by the mob. Essentially,
2: is it in Miami?
0: (laughs) No, no. It's it's more the the city is more like New York.
2: Gotcha. Okay. Um, Oh, very very dirty, very grungy. Yeah. Street. Okay. I love it.
0: But all fantasy like, and um, so it's their mission was to go steal the city document that like ratified the city, um, Mm -hmm. and so that that's what they're doing right now is they got to steal. No, they stole the city document, basically the city constitution, and now they're trying to. Um, and w- one of their party members got captured, and they're going through the sewers right now to try to find them.
2: Nice. That sounds amazing. I, um, I've been really playing around with Ravnica. I did come up with like a homebrew of Ravnica High. This is before I knew about Fantasy High, <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, but. Ravnica High, so far, it's been a really fun setting. I've been throwing a lot of one-shots um, from it, and it's been really, really great. Do you have um, anything
0: I... published with it? or?
2: Uh, yeah, so on the Loregoi side, there's actually a couple of episodes where we have Ravnica High. And yeah, I, I listened
0: le- to one, I think it was your very first episode yeah. with Ravnica, and um, I think you were DMing it, right?
2: yes i am usually the dm
0: (laughs) oh so you feel Um, my pain sometimes
2: i do i do feel your pain (laughs) i'm actually i I actually would have been trying to put together a ravnica another ravnica campaign uh but ravnica during a pandemic um and and (laughs) i have for for physical reasons um not been able to put together anything i also run um another Ravnica campaign for the Lord Wives called the bloody nightingale. And that's like a classic murder mystery noir kind of, um, uh, flavored, um, uh, campaign. And so, uh, Ravnik has kind of been my jam um, as far as uh, setting my current campaigns in. Although I've been very inspired by the Unsleeping City and have been trying to come up with a homebrew for like a San Francisco version because I love my city, even though my city is weird and corrupt. <laughs> but I, I love it so much, and there's so much great history here from like the miners that came here to like Emperor Norton to the to the Hearst. Um, family and its legacy um the publications the media startups there's so much to draw from um and there's like you know there's so many even though it's only a seven by seven city there's so many small tiny places that you could just imagine that are magical like a little alley that suddenly turns into a beautiful like verdant garden filled with flowers and ivy and like a little fountain and you're like how is this in the middle of this tiny, like this city, like how is this here in a city that's made out of concrete and whatnot? But yeah, so it's that's interesting. very much. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I love, I'm a, I'm a big city person. I love San Francisco. So really want to incorporate that. Maybe like that. And maybe the, the ghosts of, I don't know, um, civil rights protesters and gay rights protesters and that sort of thing. And maybe there's like a magic to the Castro that, comes in a big rainbow flavored popsicle or something like that. I don't know. Could be fun.
0: <laughs> no, no, it's um that that's been one of I think one of the best things Wizards has done um in the past couple years is that Ravnica campaign book they made with D&D and Magic that I I got that the day it came out and I devoured it. I read it like 2 3 times over and over.
2: It's so good.
0: It really and and I'll be on Ravnica is not my favorite plane either, um, but just the amount of detail they put into it because I, I don't know it's I'm not a big fan of the Forgotten Realms um, setting. I'm more I'm definitely more dragon like. I love Dragonlands more than Forgotten Realms, um, mm-hmm. but this this Ravnica one it it just hooked me and I want they need to make like a sequel to this Ravnica book. I don't know what they'd put in it like maybe a another campaign or I don't know they could even just incorporate the whole war, of the spark thing with it if they wanted to. Um, yeah, just that would be
2: fantastic. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I thought that, um, I, so I actually love to recommend Nikki Drayden's, um, short stories about Ravnica as a companion piece to, uh, the Ravnica D and D book, because, um, it's sort of, I don't know if you if you managed to read her short stories, but each one of her short stories, she wrote 10 of them, one for each guild. Um, were were those the
0: ones that were coming out on the Daily MTG site?
2: Um, no, these were coming out on, um, as part of Uncharted Realms, I believe, back when Uncharted Realms was still a thing. Um, so they were free. And, uh, oh, each,
0: okay, yeah. okay.
2: Yeah, people tend to gloss over them, but I think that they are like a dungeon master's treasure. Like, each episode, each story is basically a standalone that focuses on a character from a guild, not anyone from our main story, just someone who lives in the background, going through their lives, going through a situation, and showing us, like, how how does a demure operative operate? Like how does an, is it engineer get their funding? Things like that. Like these are these small, beautiful details that really bring the world alive. And I think complement the Ravnica D and so beautifully, it's, it's just mind blowing. So, and she's a fantastic writer and a crazy, awesome down to earth person, um, love her. We interviewed her for the Lord Wives and she's just so, she's just so nice. Just a nice.
0: to check I know. I read some. I think I read um, the Is it one and one other one because I remember these came. These came out during Guilds of Ravnica, right?
2: That's true. Yeah, they came out during yeah. Allegiance, and they came out during Guilds of Ravnica.
0: Okay, I'll yeah. have to check them out. It's I've got so much stuff to oh, catch up on. I'm I'm going through the Witcher book series, and I'm one of those people where I can only read like one book at a time, and mm-hmm. I gotta finish that book before I move on to another type thing I, that's
2: very disciplined I, I applaud you <laughs>
0: I, I, I can't do it because m- my wife though she's like she'll start five books at once and I'm like I don't know how you do it I'd go insane
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know everybody has their own thing it's like when you go to a buffet or or when you go to eat a meal it's like you finish one thing first and you go to the next and someone else is like now nah, I'm just gonna eat little bits of all of it at the same
1: time <laughs> delicious
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, speaking of, well, so getting back to a little bit about magic here. Um, so speaking of Vorthos here, we we've had um probably when did the War of the Spark novel come out? Was it a year ago now?
2: Almost a year ago, yeah. So about a year.
0: So I, I was one of the people who I, I understand that you know the weekly stories that were coming out were free. And that was good. I was definitely one of those people who wanted them to bring back novels, um, mm-hmm. that, you, you know, in book form, um, mm-hmm and when i heard about the war of the spark novel i was definitely excited about it super excited because i'm like yay they're going back to book form until i read it i wasn't that you know (laughs) (laughs) not like this (laughs) yeah not like this it's um so so since then it's as you probably you're very well versed in vorthos and the whole vorthos community it's been um not been so great for vorthos lately um
2: uh, no, <laughs>
0: and I mean, there was the Thorn of Eldrain novel, which I haven't read yet. But then yes. Theros, one of my favorite planes, Theros, had absolutely nothing, which was so heartbreaking to me.
2: Yeah, it is. Um, the past year has been rough for the Vorthos community, um, for most of the Vorthos community, mostly because it came on the tail end of some of the best writing that we have ever seen produced. Um, from Wizards of the Coast. This kind of—I mean—I like to kind of point out that this all started. Basically, um, you got glimmers of it with Allison Lores working on Amonkhet. um, Kaladesh. We had some fantastic writing about Yeheni and yeah. that world building in the Etherborn. Um, but everything kind of came to a head when they gave Allison like the modus, like the modus operandi of just write Ixalan.
0: Oh, I and loved Ixalan. It was
2: Ixalan. I- is by far, I think the golden age of, of lore. I, I, I come from like, I love books. I mean, obviously like anyone who comes to <laughs> Beams of Orthos is really into books, but I, I love sitting down and analyzing books. I love looking at, you know, picking apart characters. What is their, um, what's their motive? You know, who are they? How do they fit into this world around them? You know, I love. Brandon Sanderson, you know, Anne Leckie, Mercedes Lackey, a a ton of really wonderful science fiction fantasy authors. And Ixalan just hit all of those notes for me, but also gave an enormous amount of heart to its characters and two very unlikely characters to give their hearts, like Jace and Vraska. And these are characters who we have been schooled to um, understand as being cold and rational and callous and killers um and now we have them vulnerable and i think that speaks to a lot of people um who i think have moved past a lot of like what i would call um the Renaissance age of of fantasy and sci-fi, which is like I would call it maybe Game of Thrones and stuff like that. We've moved kind of more into um, a space where I think we want more pathos from our characters, and this very much embodied that. Um, and it, it just makes these characters relatable. It makes them human. And that's what we want to see. We want to see ourselves when we read these books and when we read the story, So Ixelon gave us a good healthy dose of that and then we kind of progressed into other things Um, and that was I think the last big hurrah before we moved into um, the new system which was basically we give um, outside writers contracts to write these stories and so the results were mixed. Um, We had continuity errors, Um, people tried to yeah, for, for I know that people are like, well, it's not supposed to be like super continuous, but it's like we're Magic the Gathering players. We we know, for example, if like a doom like if this card is a copy of just Doomblade or something like that, of course we're gonna pick up on these details. Well,
0: it, it's not only that, but with them because since the inception of the Gatewash, they've had this overarching story of you know basically the end goal was stopping Nicol Bolas, right? And when they went over to Dominaria. Um, And when we saw first glimpses of that continuity error, that's when people started getting mad where, you know, hey, if we're supposed to have this continuous story, why aren't things lining up, you know, in the previous chapters? Exactly.
2: Yeah, it it definitely was a bait and switch. It felt um, because, as you pointed out, yeah, we were we were offered this story that should have a clear and even through line through from the beginning to the end. This is what we've been expecting. It's it's like um it kind of followed the model of the superhero movie, right? Yep. Like like we yeah, we have Tony Stark starting off in Iron Man. Tony Stark remains Tony Stark, like, pretty much until the very until the last one. I don't know if people Is it is it wrong to spoil endgame here or <laughs> I don't um, know if you
0: I mean, if you haven't seen it by now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Spoilers. Um, until the very end of Tony Stark, um, we get Tony Stark. And and there's a continuity to his character, his tendencies, his quirks, And that was what we were, I think, expecting when we walked into this narrative of the Gatewatch. And we didn't get that. And that was weird. So when War of the Spark came along, we had already been seeing some inconsistencies and and you know i was really personally against um the the books because i guess i'm very egalitarian i really one of the reasons why i love the lore is because it has been free for the longest time
1: yeah
2: and i love the fact that magic is a, an expensive game like it's not a cheap hobby but you can still engage very enthusiastically with the lore because the lore is free um, And it provides people like a launching point, at least a foothold within the community that they don't necessarily have to put money down for. And I think that's, I don't know. I, I like that having that option for people, but um, I was at least hoping that if I'm going to fork over, like, I don't know, nearly 30 bucks for a book <laughs> that it should be well-written.
0: <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you're asking a little bit too much.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. And no, then, but and, it's
0: I, I, yeah. I see what you mean with offering it for free, and I agree. Um, it's the and if you've listened to previous episodes, listeners, um, you know that there's definitely been some stuff about the lore that I've been a little bit harsh on. Um, mm-hmm. One of my biggest things I don't like with the way they did it before, um, like let's just take Amaket for example, is um the. The one reason why I think Ixalan really worked well is because it had one writer who wrote it all and it was in-house. When you look at something like Amonkhet and it's a different writer each week. And typically what I would do is I wouldn't read each story each week. I'd wait a couple weeks so I'd have, you know, multiple chapters to read. And when you do it like that and you come across one chapter, it's written really well. And then you go to the next chapter and it's written by a completely different author. And the writing feels off and doesn't feel is good and the the style and flow is completely different than compared to what you read it kind of takes you out of the story.
2: Yeah, it definitely suspends your it doesn't dis, it doesn't suspend your disbelief. Your your doubt definitely creeps back in. It's definitely like if you're watching a Shakespearean play and then one of the actors is like, "Hold up, I need to check Tinder." And yeah. you're like, <laughs> yeah, Wait, that, that's a
0: great way to put it."
2: Checking <laughs> Tinder. He's like, nah, I'm going to swipe right on all of these. And he's like, <laughs> oh, <I'm> that's <rest> thirsty. <laughs>
0: that, that That's a perfect... And that's what it felt like sometimes where you'd have a really awesome well-written chapter by one of the writers and the next chapter was just... I, I don't know. It felt like you went from college level of reading to back down to like eighth grade, you know, young adult novel sometimes.
2: Yeah, it's... um, It, it was definitely uneven. And I think... I think that's sort of what we're seeing a lot now. I think that's evened out a little bit. Um, the franchise team, I think, based on recent feedback, hopefully has doubled down on consistency. Oh, I'm and hoping. Um, But War of the Spark was, it, it just felt so rushed. It felt disjointed. Um, I think there was a lot of pressure to get from point A to point B to point C without a lot of time for breathing in between any of it and so as a result like things happened and you can step back and from like a macro perspective say like okay that kind of makes sense but when you start looking closer you take your magnifying glass and you start teasing apart those plot threads you're like wait a second (laughs) um i like there should be more to it here you know this character really should be a little bit more expressive and we're just going to gloss over this without even spending more than a few sentences on it? What? So it, <laughs> yeah. it, it felt... It, I mean, I haven't reread it since last year because I like to value my time highly. Um, but I just... It was, it was really lackluster. Like, honestly, if I had to compare it to a movie, it would probably be like... I don't know, um, watching one of those riff tracks, um, or like MST3K, like action movies from like the seventies, oh, like the, yeah. bad the bad ones that don't really make sense, but I don't get the benefit of having like MST3K people riffing on it, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And that it's just like you haven't read it since last year. I, I even got the, the sequel to it, the forsaken. I haven't even opened it yet. Um, oh.
2: It and, and I've heard
0: that's not died. even much better.
2: I it was worse. I mean, it was oh war of God. the spark was not was not great, but it wasn't offensive. War of the uh, Forsaken was actively offensive. And it,
0: the, the the biggest thing I remember people going on about was the was the Chandra Nissa thing and then the decidedly male Gideon or something or
2: So what or, happened <laughs> as you as you probably recall like it's been pretty much out there for the longest time for a few years ever since like gatewatch got together that chandra and nissa like chandra feels romantically towards nissa she's attracted to her um it's also been implied that there has been not really implied but so much like it's been stated that Chandra used to have feelings for Gideon um, and this kind of refers back to um, their, in, their uh, I guess they were working together during the Purifying Fire which is this whole other novel we're not going to talk about that here um, <laughs> but, but uh, it was so very clearly portrayed um, this attraction between Chandra and Nyssa in so many other parts of other stories on Kaladesh on Um even on Dominaria, like this was not Dominaria, but like other places that it was really clear that she had a mad crush on this elf. And yeah. and suddenly yeah, everybody knew it. Everyone knew. And we were like, oh girlfriends. And then of course, like during War of the Spark, they finally say, I love you. And it's it's really sweet. And we're like, well the book isn't great, but we at least have this. Um, yeah, that
0: was one of the best. It was that part. And then Jason Frasca finally getting together, too. and
2: Yeah. And then, of course, in Forsaken, they're like, no, we can't have this. We tear everything apart. Um, and the thing about Chandra's bi erasure is basically what they're calling it. This is a very common trope in a lot of media. This was very common in like the 90s and in the early 2000s. As a person who identifies as being bisexual myself, it is really insulting and kind of honestly very hurtful to have a character that you identify with in some respect and care a lot about um, have an intrinsically important part of our identity just erased this way, as if it never happened, and if, that was really what was so painful about this book was the fact that they had written like Chandra had only ever had crushes on decidedly male figures, etc., etc., oh, and like her, her love was clearly just friends, <laughs> and it's just friends, right? We're just this is this is a friendly kind of love. <laughs>
0: well, do you think that had to have been like brought down from higher ups or something?
2: Possibly, I mean the problem is that, like, we can so like I've definitely done my my amount of speculation, but the thing is, like, at the end of the day, what happened happened, and maybe that wasn't intended to be this way. Maybe they were hoping for something else. The problem is that this is what we were left with. These are the consequences, and they done they done goofed, and that's a really charitable way of putting it, Um, but. What I do appreciate is that Wizards of the Coast did come around and apologize for it. As far as I and most other Forthoses are concerned, Forsaken is verboten. We do not acknowledge this book. It sucks. And I'm okay with just chonking it into the sea <laughs> like it's...
0: so so as a casual vorthos it's i i enjoy the lore i haven't read all the books i've i have pretty much um have read everything from i want to say theros and up um mm-hmm. and all that it's i haven't really read a lot of the old stuff with urza and all that um
2: honestly i haven't either but that's mostly because i know the writing is terrible and i just I I don't want... I can just read the Wikipedia. It's fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I, I guess as someone who is a casual vorthos, is Forsaken even worth reading? I mean, no. does it... No, it doesn't. I mean, besides that that part with Chandra and Nyssa, is there anything that moves the stor- story forward that's even worth noting or knowing about?
2: Yes, in the sense that stuff happens. Like... Liliana decides to change her name and live at her days in the swamps of Caligo what? Um, and gives up her her chain veil and does a lot of very other un-Liliana like things that I have a lot of problems with
1: what the heck
2: <laughs> and, and Kaya is sent on an, an errand to kill her and then there's this, this so they basically follow the threads of like the directives that these characters have been given at the end of War of the Spark. And so we see what happens when okay. Sean, yeah, when when these people go after um when Kaya goes after Liliana, when Ra goes after Tezzeret, et cetera. So um there's that, but it's also just like there's so little stakes because it's a Denu, it's like the denouement after the denouement, right? Yeah. And there's there's such like you don't really even care <laughs> about these characters. Um, I hate to say it, but yeah, it's it's not worth it. Just read the wiki; it will save you time. Okay, uh, your uh, time. It- I don't. I don't know everyone re- watching this or or listening to this, but I know your time is more precious than spend, to spend on this book. Like your time is too precious to spend on this book,
0: <laughs> and then I guess I'll check out the wiki. But no, just you telling me that about Liliana. That's um, I'm kind of <laughs> interested to see where they go with that because that seems so un-Liliana, <laughs> from what at least I know.
2: Okay, like the first chapter with her in it, she planes walks to Caligo, face plants in a swamp, and then considers drowning herself in the mud in the swamp.
0: What? She just no,
2: lies there. She just lies there. In self hatred and and wants to kill herself in this swamp. And I'm well, like, what is it
0: because of what happened with Gideon? She feels that way.
2: She does feel that way, but that is also, I think, not a very Liliana-like thing to do. <laughs> so yeah. it, I don't know. Basically, they decided to um, take the teeth out of one of the most rad women of of magic history. So. Eh. I have uh, well,
0: d- Did they also screw up on um, the Jason Vraska relationship too?
2: Yes, they broke up. What? Oh my God. They broke up. <laughs> Nothing gold can stay.
0: <laughs> like, why? It's just, oh my God. Okay, yeah. That, that, because that was one of the things I was looking forward to the most in that The War of the Spark book was then getting together and, okay, no, that book doesn't happen now.
2: They don't even have the date on 10th Street. Ah, oh, <laughs> it's <God. so> annoying. <laughs> That's
0: the worst. Um yeah, I, I don't think so um anyways, Thorn of dream book, how was that?
2: So the Wildered Quest is excellent. I definitely recommend it. Um it is I mean, it's a novella. So um a lot of there's there are some structural things I wish we could have spaced out a little bit more, but because it's a short story not short story, but a novella, um we, Kate Elliot didn't have the most space in which to build this world but I think that given the word count that she had she did about as amazing of a job as she could um, Throne of Aldrin, um was a pretty amazing set but um, this story I think is one of the strongest that I've seen come out of Wizards in a really long time and I think that's due to like Kate's own personal Beliefs and her her willingness to write nuanced, compelling, strong women. Um, she, even though there is like a lot of fantasy and storybook stuff happening in Eldrain, that's not really necessarily the focus of this particular novella. She definitely leans more into the um, quest side of it, and she highlights family. Um, and I think that's sort of the thesis and the backbone of this particular story. It's the the Kenrith family. Yeah. Um, you know, what they what they do together, how they relate to one another, their love for each other, and how that love uh, propels them to do amazing things. And I think that's incredibly lovely. Um, Kate is also an incredibly, like, lovely individual. We interviewed her for The Little Wives. She's so... Nice. She's so funny and hilarious and super chill, um, um, but but behind her, I think that behind in this in this particular book, I think um, there is this very strong-willed person that I think makes everything happen, and that's Queen Lyndon for sure. And I see a lot of Kate in her actually. Um, because Kate herself has twin boys <laughs> <laughs> so she, I think you can definitely see a lot of that familiarity with dealing with that kind of twin dynamic in the book which is super funny but um, Queen Lyndon, in particular I think is an incredibly strong character um, The it was really she's a strong card t- in t- mono white yeah she's incredibly <laughs> it's not that she's so much even like just a strong woman but she's a a like when when people talk about the strong woman archetype, like typically people think of something very shallow. But when you think of a woman like in her in a, a woman's complexity, a person's complexity and the strength that comes from within, born out of years of like dedication and hard work, like that is so very apparent and very real in this character. And it brings such a strong like buttressing to the story that um I think would have crumbled if that character wasn't in it. Okay. So, um, so yeah, Kate does a really good job of imbuing her characters, but in particular, Queen Lyndon, with that kind of uh, just that kind of solidarity and that kind of like inner core of steel, which is so cool. <laughs> mm, that
0: sounds awesome. Yeah. It, it's on my, to-do list to read mm-hmm. um
2: and garrick is in there too and he's great <laughs> oh, oh
0: so garrick is, is in the book along with yeah Oco. Garrick,
2: along with oko yeah oh oh no oko <laughs> <laughs> press f for respects <laughs>
0: yeah and, and uh, it, it's funny i didn't even think that planeswalker was that good when it was first spoiled i didn't realize it would like warp every single format
2: Really, as soon as I saw it, as a person who plays a lot of Commander, I was like, that's just Beast Within on a stick for free every single turn. And that's so good. I'm I'm not very
0: good at evaluating magic cards.
2: No worries. I I think I also (laughs) just have the unfortunate experience of getting Beast Within (laughs) multiple times at at games. (laughs) I'm just like, (laughs) ah, <laughs> your 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 smothering tithe is now an elk and I'm like, God darn it. <laughs>
0: yeah. So the the Ikoria novel, didn't that just come out today?
2: It just came out last night or slash last today. Night. Yeah. yeah. And um it's by Django Wexler, who is, I think, one of the most exciting voices in recent um science fiction fantasy. He he became well known for his um uh, I think oh gosh um, he became really well known for his flintlock fantasy series um, which starts with a hundred thousand names it is basically a uh, fantasy version of the Napoleonic Wars oh, but wow.
0: yeah it's called the thousand Fairy. names the forbidden library the Prince of the Valor forbidden or the Price yes. of Valor
2: yes the Price of Valor he is so good at creating Um, these amazing settings with really compelling characters. But also I think the thing that really excited me when I was like first reading his books was the fact that he seemed really adept with um, military strategy, (laughs) especially when it comes to um, working within cities. And so when he did the work for The Gathering Storm, I was like, this is the perfect author to have chosen because he uh, did such a great job basically portraying fantasy, the fantasy French Revolution in Paris. And okay. I I was like, dang, like he's gonna knock it out of the park in Rapnica, and he did. I I was a little bit like, oh, Ikoria seems like a little bit out of his wheelhouse. I would have expected someone like Marie Brennan, but this is cool too. And I get I just finished it today, um, the day it was released, and <laughs> it's it's really good. I after after Forsaken, this is such a wonderful breath of fresh air. Like I've mentioned before, but not only that, there are a lot of subversions here. And I think that's what makes this novel, uh, this novella, such a wonderful companion and like underlying supportive piece for the set. Because when we look at Ikoria, we see all of these, I mean, it's it's green at sort of its biggest and best, right? Like, look at Godzilla. Godzilla doesn't really have any illusions or pretensions like about him he's just a god he's a radioactive 50 foot 50 story high radioactive monster lizard thing like he does he's not gonna try to beat around the bush he's just gonna squish your face pretty straightforward pretty much
0: yeah The
2: thing about but and so when you look at that you think about like okay well then who does have the capacity to be duplicitous and interesting in like a more complex way humans and Mm so um jango wexler really takes that interesting dynamic about, um, how we relate to one another, um, what we assume about one another and, you know, how we, um, perceive, I guess, not just the people around us, but the, um, the other creatures we share our world with, uh, and kind of turns it on its head in a very satisfying way. Um, it
0: makes me excited to read it.
2: So I'm 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 very yeah I can't recommend it hot more highly. It's a lot of fun, um, pretty short read, but excellent and really subverts a lot of my expectations. Like I was sitting here thinking like ah oh, this is sort of your typical journey of the hero Joseph Campbell stuff, and it's like yeah. nah nah it's not it's not it's it's actually. It it doesn't have a lot of time, obviously, because it's a novella, like I mentioned, to flip everything. But it does a great job, and um, again, like even though um, the, it isn't always set within a city, I think Django's uh, understanding of military strategy and tactics uh comes into play very well here especially when describing like the siege of Dranith with the monsters coming in also with how the monster hunters try to trap the monsters um i think his understanding of how that goes down and how that would go down theoretically is very real and concrete and it adds this layer of believability and and realism to the book that I, i really appreciate
0: well nice. That sounds yeah, that just makes me that makes me yeah. more excited for this set. Yeah,
2: like um, this is how you really take down a giant creature. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's and you know, I gotta get your thoughts on um I mean, because right now your Twitter Twitter name is Michelle Ikoria Stan, which yes. Stan that came out of that what the the K pop thing where people Call like obsessed fans like stands or something because the yeah Eminem song or something like that. Pretty
2: much, I think that's how it goes. Um, I I just picked it out out of like the Tumblr community where it's like, where it's like you you have a fandom ship and you're like I'm I have no choice but to stand. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of like I this happened and I and so Aquaria happened and I have no choice but to stand for this set. Like I love this set so much.
0: Yeah, the i think we we were talking about before um before we even started recording like when i i act i accidentally saw some leaks of the godzilla cards and my first thought was those aren't real at all that they can't be real there's no way they'd make godzilla cards or something like that
1: oh but they did (laughs) but they
0: did they they made um and it looks like they've mainly based it off the 90s godzilla the heisei era i'm so bad at pronouncing it um but, um, it's so you're also a huge Godzilla fan, too, aren't you?
2: I am a huge Godzilla fan. I am not as like in depth about everything in the way say Jay and Nelly would be. Jay's definitely like can quote, like book like book and scripture about every single Godzilla thing. but i I've always been a fan of Godzilla because of what he and everything else represents. Um i I also really, So a lot of that fascination for me actually comes out of um, uh, post-World War II Japanese media Mm
1: -hmm. uh,
2: because that's basically where you get the birth of modern anime um, but also where you get a lot of these really interesting um, monster slash nature versus man narratives, right? Because if you look at like the culture and history of Japan as a country after World War 2, you know, your entire fascist like nationalist identity has been completely demolished and you need to figure out what you who you are as a country now. And so there's a lot of different narratives and different perspectives on trying to figure out what that is. And Godzilla as an analogy essentially of nature punishing man's hubris is such an amazing concept to me um that I I have no choice but to stand. <laughs> and I I just love this idea of like as as uh, monsters as an uh, a metaphor, a living analogy or metaphor for things you cannot control. Yeah. Like like war, like um a uh, like a volcano, even this pandemic. These are things that we as humans despite our incredible technological prowess cannot defeat easily um we will lose people in that whole struggle and it puts us in our place and makes us realize and understand like this is where we stand in the circle of life and where we stand in this world and we need to remember that (laughs) so it's it's such a cool concept and also you know i i also am a big fan of wanton destruction so, <laughs> just like yes rip down that building
0: yes. no no and i see what you mean it's whenever i mention um You know, if anyone ever asks my opinion on what Godzilla movies to see, I always recommend watch the very first Godzilla. But make sure you watch the Japanese version, not the American version.
2: Don't watch the dubbed version because the dubbed version, not only do they censor a ton of shit, but it's also like really badly dubbed.
0: (laughs) Yes, very, very much so. And then I always recommend Shin Godzilla. Shin Godzilla to me is probably, I, I don't know, it might. Because the first Godzilla is like my favorite one, but Shin Godzilla is just right below it because just the the commentary of that movie and the and it's also a fascinating look as to how a modern day government would react to Mm -hmm. a disaster like Godzilla. And then the part that just like broke me down, even though you know i'm, I'm not japanese I, i'm not any of that but when they had to decide to nuke japan to try to stop godzilla and just the the thoughts of oh my gosh we're having to go through this again type scenario it it broke my heart when i saw that because it and for them to knowingly do it to them after what they experienced back in world war ii that was very powerful to me in that movie mm-hmm.
2: And Aquaria kind of taps into this idea of like, we, and it's into that central theme of monster, like big monster movies, right? Where we, once again, are being faced with a giant natural threat. And how do we adapt? Like, what is, what are the decisions we have to make as a species in order to survive this? Does that mean living with this? Does this mean like killing it? Does this mean that we isolate ourselves? Like how does, how do we, how do we live? I guess in this particular new world, because you have no
0: control over it. And that's one of the biggest things because we want to control it. We want to stop it.
2: And that's sort of what's really been really fascinating about this set. I mean, I know that in the past, like green as a color, has often been glossed over. Even just as as recently as a year or two ago, people were like, "Green, what's that all about?" What like green is by far, I think, one of the most, if not the most, misunderstood color within the color pie. Um, and I think this set, and like its focus on Godzilla and all the other monsters, I think really highlights what green is about. Um, it's about recognizing where you stand and about accepting it or, or adapting to it and figuring out, you know, how to move on. Um, because this is the natural order of things. Yeah. It's, it's,
0: it's, that's a good way to put it because that's, um, you know, living on this side of the, of the U S you know, every summer we have to deal with hurricanes and it's, you know, you, you make a really good point. It's something we have to deal with hurricanes every year. You know, what do you do? You can't stop them from coming. You can just prepare as best you can and
2: mm-hmm. deal with it. Yeah. I mean, in San Francisco, we certainly have. I mean, everybody says we're due for another big one. But during the um, I wasn't around for the 1989 earthquake, but um, it's you know, we you can't run from an earthquake. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, from an earthquake, and, and,
0: and you don't have too much warning on earthquakes either. Unlike hurricanes,
2: in, in earthquake, the ground <laughs> runs from you. <laughs> like, it's not, It's it's kind of a problem. So
0: yeah, it, it's that to me is a, like way scarier, like dealing with an earthquake than a hurricane because these are the hurricane. Like you said, you at least know you can run away from it. Hopefully. Unless it, you know, decides to change its mind the very last minute, which it likes to do.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I I remember being caught in last year. Doug and I went to Tokyo. We went to Japan for a couple of weeks and we ended up extending our stay um, because we got trapped in a typhoon. Um, And it was it was so sudden how quickly the typhoon decided to descend upon the entire country and if you looked at satellite images the typhoon was the size of japan (laughs) and like wow and it it was stealing it was sizing up to be like one of the biggest storms to ever hit japan and i was actually i actually i was worried but i was not too worried because if there's any country that has had that is really good at preparing its its citizens and like coming up with really great ways to handle this sort of situation as best they can. It's it's probably Japan.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah. freaking.
2: They were so efficient. Like everything was shut down, people were safe, they were checking in on people, their medical and emergency vehicles were like on top of it. It was so well done. And also, like, thank goodness the typhoon decided to soften up before it finally yeah. hit the mainland. But it was it was just sort of like this is a really interesting example of like a population and a government that has taken a lot of pains to prepare very very well uh, because they've been hit by typhoons since time immemorial.
0: So yeah, that is true, and and yeah. earthquakes too. Um, yeah,
2: their their seismological technology is like crazy amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I know I've seen like some videos of how they design their buildings. They engineer their buildings to withstand you know, X amount of earthquakes or or whatever the Richter scale is. And um, it's pretty crazy. And then plus with them having to deal with that tsunami, hasn't it been like 10 years now or something or over 10 years?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And we're still feeling the effect and they're still feeling the effects of it. It is, um, it's, it's pretty remarkable. So it, it kind of makes sense that, you know, monster movies and things like that come out of a place like Japan, Um a country that has, withstood like so much naturally, but also like in dealing with the aftermath of world war two and trying yeah. to who they are, it, you know, it like every country, you know, trying to define their identity in an ever changing world. Um, using this as an expression.
0: Yeah. It's, I've always been fascinated by, uh, Japanese history and not just Japanese, but also Chinese and Korean and, um, you know, Vietnamese and all that, but Japanese it's, you got this small ass little country, and just um, you know how much havoc they wreaked back in the day is just oh, yeah. amazing. Like if um, you like history podcasts? Have you ever heard of Dan Carlin's Hardcore History?
2: I have, I have. I've been meaning to listen to it, but I've been um actually listening to uh, Sawbones, which is a medical a medical history podcast.
0: Ooh, okay, <laughs> I think I've heard of that one.
2: Yeah, it's about um. Bad medicine, (laughs) bad medical practice. Um, So
0: I think you would like the hardcore history because his recent one, Supernova in the East, just talking about Japanese society, like what led up to them getting into World War II, and mm -hmm. um, and then the aftermath of it as well. And then they also he also has a really good series, um, The Cons of Cons, which goes all into about Mongol history of Genghis Khan and all them and just holy crap it's just it's amazing it's
2: yeah it's it's pretty cool like I remember um when I was taking my Shakespeare class in college there was a really we of course spent a week on Kurosawa and made a lot of really great um like There's a there's a ton of similarities between Great Britain and um, Japan Mm -hmm. in in terms of like social structure, hierarchy, like heraldry, all that stuff. And so um, when it made perfect sense for Kurosawa to absolutely adapt uh, a number of Shakespearean plays to feudal Japanese settings, it was just that's one of the reasons I think why it's such a fantastic like Throne of Blood, one of my best one of my favorite films of all time. Um, for very good reasons.
0: <laughs> Throne of Blood, have I seen that one? It's like that. I can't remember if I've seen that one or not.
2: It, so, fun I, fact. I I
0: went through, like, a huge Kurosawa Kur, kick. I know I saw, like, a, like a lot of his movies. Um, Rashomon's one of my favorites.
2: Rashomon, I think, was just groundbreaking. Um, but Throne of Blood is great. Toshira Mifune, who plays, essentially, Macbeth. <laughs> so there's this scene where... Um, uh, well where well, of course like they, they're attacking the castle um and so they're shooting arrows <laughs> normally when you shoot arrows on a set um they're either cgi would in or in the past they were along a they ran along a guideline like a literal guide string mm-hmm. um they didn't do that <laughs> so they were just shooting arrows at the actor
0: <laughs> oh they shoot real arrows oh damn <laughs>
2: So the look of terror on his face is not acting. It's literal fear.
0: <laughs> oh, damn. That's awesome.
2: Chris <laughs> <Crystal> is hardcore.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's he, I mean, I love Toshirô share Mufune as, as uh, in a lot of his, a lot of the films he did with Akira. Um, I mean, seven yeah. samurai. I mean, that's one of the classics. It's that's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's, when I watched that, the first time I watched it, I couldn't look away from it. It was so good.
2: Yeah, Toshirô Mifune also does, did a really um, did some pretty great Japanese noir films as well. Um, I think maybe one one was done by Kurosawa as well. I think that may have been how they started, but um, it's definitely a bit jarring because you're so used to seeing Mifune in these like feudal Japanese costumes, and then you see him like in a in a zoot suit essentially, and you're like, oh. <laughs>
0: I oh, know he he's a very like very good actor um, he's
2: very versatile yeah, yeah he's so good he's such a good actor
0: uh, it's um I, I mean th- this is part of my I mean e- you know being in martial arts as a kid growing up and um you know loving samurai and all that stuff I mean I was just automatically attracted to all this kind of stuff here um you know e- even loving the uh, Zatoichi the blind samurai movies the old ones Um, I don't know if you've ever seen those.
2: Yeah, no. uh, My dad was really into Japanese stuff when I was growing up, so I grew up with a a lot of this. (laughs) Um, And uh, let's see. I remember when I was watching The Mandalorian for the first time, like, this is just just lone wolf and cub in space, and I love it.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, right? It was – you know, I I don't (sighs) – without getting too controversial Last Jedi really kind of harpened my mood for Star Wars um, mm. it's I, I I loved Star Wars and then Last Jedi just kind of just kind of killed it for a little while there until the Mandalorian came out Mandalorian just like made my love of Star Wars come back just because it was just so well done it,
2: <laughs> it's I, I wish to see the baby <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was just, and not just the bait. I mean the baby Yoda. Yeah, that was freaking amazing, but just the storyline of it, like star Wars to me kind of belongs in a setting like this, not movies anymore. It needs to be a long form TV show like this a- and not yeah. such big stakes as well too.
2: Yeah. And I, I mean like, like Nikki Draden's stuff. Like I think the Mandalorian is also like a DMs treasure trove, right? You're getting, the like what happened to the rebel uh to the rebel army after they won the day you know like where did they go oh we have one here you know how does how does the empire manage to regain its strength again oh we're looking at this and seeing how that happens yeah so it's it's like small little easter eggs like little crumbs like a hansel and gretel thing where you end up like building to a bigger picture and you're just like whoa it's it's such a good um it's so so good i mean I I am shocked that we have not yet seen a a D&D Star Wars crossover yet, but we should definitely get there. (laughs) Well,
0: I mean, they have their own RPG system that is fairly popular from what I hear. They have a few, don't they?
2: Oh, fair. That's right. You're right. You're absolutely right.
0: Yeah, I think there's like two different systems that are fairly fairly popular. I don't know. Um, And plus, (laughs) Disney would never let that one go without like some big licensing fee.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. You need to you need to call in Daddy Hasbro for that one. And even then, we're not sure.
0: I I don't even think that's enough money. I I, I don't
2: versus the mouse. No.
0: Yeah, I don't think Hasbro. Oh, I don't even think D&D would be popular enough compared to the mouse.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'd be pretty niche, but. Yeah, but even then, I mean, like, you can still homebrew your own thing. That's oh, what's oh. great about the tradition. And,
0: and yeah, that's what so you could funny. just Google it online, like D&D Star Wars crossover and boom. Someone's taken the painstaking time to do it.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to. But, but yeah, so I know we've like meandered a lot. But... I mean,
0: hey, that, that's what's great about these is, you know, and that's what I like with these interviews, because it's getting to know you as a person and talking about whatever the heck comes up you
2: know? Oh, seems awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what else have I been up to? Um, other than this stupid injury, I've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing.
0: Oh my God, so have I. It's, <laughs> so is this your first Animal Crossing?
2: Yes, it's my first Animal Crossing. I'm convinced, my too. That, I'm convinced that Animal Crossing is like Needs to be awarded some kind of Nobel prize because I think it is single-handedly saving the sanity of so many people out there, including myself. Oh,
0: my gosh. Yes. Yeah. So my, um, my, wife, my wife and kids love Animal Crossing. They played a lot of the other games, like the ones on the Wii and the Wii U and the DS3DS and all that. And I... I remember I've tried playing when I'm like, this is a dumb game. Like I, I don't get it. It's I, I don't you buy a you buy a house, you pay it off. I'm like, why do I want to play that? <laughs> and, and then and then my kids were going crazy about this new one and then I then I finally buy it for them and I decide to try it out. I'm like, Oh my gosh, what have I been missing? This is so amazing.
2: <laughs> it's it's just so I think one of the reasons why I think like Animal Crossing is even more needed now than ever is because it gives us a sense of control uh, in a world that is spiraling out of control at the moment and it is it's just so nice to have to wake up and to know that there are certain things you've got to do every day although granted because it's easter season slash the egg season like that. Every day I'm just like, I need to dig my four fossils, and it's like, gosh darn it, it's another darn earth egg. Ah yeah. <laughs> um,
0: but No, like, and, and it's very relaxing too because I I mean the type of games that I'm usually very attracted to are RPGs. I love RPGs, you know. You know, I mean, not too hard to understand why I love DD and all that. Um so because I've seen a lot of people compare this to Stardew Valley, and Stardew Valley is a very open-ended game. But to me, that's to me it's different because Stardew Valley, you have a sort of goal. You build a farm and make it successful. With this, you don't even really have to follow the story at all. Wh- the quote unquote story. You don't even have to really build up your own. You can do whatever the hell you want. And
2: I mean, I have personally just basically started breeding flowers, and that is now like my peak happiness in life is just breeding, uh, breeding flowers. <laughs>
0: you and Pixie kitten, because yep. I I've been on her island a couple times, and it's literally nothing but flowers and all that. I mean, yet she she's built up, you know, she's got her resident town hall and all this other stuff, but it's everywhere on her island is just flowers. And I she went to my island. She's like, oh, you've got flowers. I don't have. I'm gonna pick them. I'm like, yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs>
2: Yeah, there's and it's just so cool because you can crossbreed them and you can do like um you can create new strains. Like oh, I just right.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, remember responding to you like like holy crap, that's crazy that you could do that.
2: You can so like I I woke up so the um gosh, I had another person um very kindly give me some blue and orange pansies and I planted them next to each other and today I woke up and there's a purple pansy that was created from like the orange and the blue. <laughs> I don't that makes, like, no sense color theory-wise, but I'm like, I'm going to roll with it. This is cool. And then for some reason, like, I I planted, like, some white hyacinths and red hyacinths together, and now I have some pink and blue hyacinths now sprouting. Oh, I don't cool. know where that came from, but I'm going to roll with it, and this is cool. <laughs> like, And that's just kind of, like, fun because it's, it, it's sort of, like, pseudo-botany genetics, right, where you're yeah. just... you're kind of repeating like what you learned about biology I think in high school or eighth grade
0: (laughs) I I just love it um it's it's I I love designing my house I love um it's I'm working on two different kind of gardens right now I've got like my bamboo ish garden going on that I just built like an outside like hot bath for Um, oh no And then I'm also doing like my fruit tree garden that I've got going on that I'm working on.
1: Um,
2: oh, yeah. I, I need to seriously re-landscape my island because um, you got You got to make sure that bamboo is contained because that bamboo starts growing everywhere. And you're like,
0: oh well, I, I've got fences surrounding it. So, it doesn't oh,
2: good. Go crazy. OK. OK. <laughs> yeah. No, I, at first I was like. Why did I get fencing? I don't want to fence anything and let everything just go free. And then the bamboo started going crazy. I'm like, never mind. I'm gonna put some fencing around the bamboo now.
0: Well, I didn't just- realize the flowers do the same thing too. That they just
2: yeah, they just start going everywhere. I mean, I've been kind of encouraging it actually because I I love flowers uh, in real life and in this game. So I'm just like, yeah, just grow free. Maybe we'll get some weird like other strange colors out of it. That's cool, <laughs> but I'm not, um, but yeah, with when it came to the bamboo, though, I was like, oh, I, I gotta I gotta fix you in. <laughs> this is going crazy,
0: yeah, it's it's I, I, you're right. with this kind of game. it's it's very relaxing. It's such a game where you can take your own time. you can just take take your own kind of pace, like, I'm way ahead of my kids on my island and my kid they enjoy just designing t-shirts and clothes and all that stuff way more than anything and they've made some cool stuff you know and
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's um
2: yeah there's so many different kinds of animal crossing players um and I think that's what's so wonderful about this world it almost reminds me a little bit of like Zelda, right? Like, um, breath of the wild where there's like this open world kind of play and you can choose to engage with it in so many different ways, um, that make it, that are all legitimate, that are all a lot of fun and, um, that are really cool. And like I, um, in addition to my flower situation, you know, I really also love like having all of, I, I, I'm really obsessed with the museum, I yes. would kill. I would kill <laughs> blathers. Like that's why I get so upset when I like dig up eggs instead of fossils. I'm like, no, this won't make blathers happy. <laughs> <laughs> give me my, give me my spinosaurus head, you cowards! <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> yes, no, I, I know what you mean, and I, I do love giving them just bugs sometimes, just to see them freak <laughs> out. Yes,
2: and oh my goodness, it's like ah uh, that. I, I really hope that one day they do um, in, de- release an interview with whomever designed that museum because it's so immersive like I I love like in the bug section there's a there's a lab in the back yeah where you yeah can see, like they're breeding more more butterflies and you're just like this is the most amazing thing and I love it
0: <laughs> oh it's I I love the game it's it, it's been very it's been very needed for a time like this. Um, oh, man. It's... it. Yeah, it's just going crazy. It's... My um my way of just dealing with it... Because I'm still working... I've been working at home since last summer, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I, it's working at home now. It's really no different for me. But my kids are going crazy. And, um, you know, this game is good. You know, just sort of take their mind off it when they're done with school. I mean, hell, they don't even do school that much because um, they get assigned assignments every day. They do them, and then that's about it. So mm-hmm. they don't really do much else. Um, yeah,
2: it's hard. Like I, I can't, I can't imagine like what it's like to be a student right now. Um, I know that like every university has closed. Like when Harvard, MIT, everybody like sent everyone home. We were all like, oh, and so. Like naturally, I think this this is probably going to be a huge setback for this generation. Like I, I graduated in the middle of the recession, uh, the last recession, (laughs) back in two thousand eight, and I like people of my generation are still we're we're still not making as much money as our previous generation. Um, We're still facing a lot of disadvantages because of circumstance, and I can't help but think that current the current generation of students and people young people who want to enter the workplace um they're also going to start facing a lot of setbacks as well just oh my
0: gosh it's, yeah it's
2: so it i it's difficult for me to try i mean i'm not an economist um my understanding of these things is um maybe like somewhat familiar at best. I mean, just based off of like what I've, what history I've, I've learned, but I, I would be very interested to see, um, from a purely anthropological scale, like how the heck this is going to, like how, uh, how this is going to end up panning out for the world. Um, like uh, I think what Boris Johnson, the prime minister of the UK, he has, he has it now too. So
0: yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah,
2: it's kind of crazy. Yeah,
0: it's it's scary because it's um it's basically my kids' generation. You know, nine eleven like how we had nine eleven for us. It's you know this is their version of it. And yeah, it's it's going to completely change. I mean, you know, just look at the jobless claims that they're announcing and like I said, I, I told myself I want to get into politics but it's hard not to when talking about stuff like this and plus the stimulus bill that they passed I'm sorry it's not enough to help out all those it's, people
2: it's going to be um really rough and what's what's going to be important is looking out for um people who are going to be even more adversely affected by this uh, for example uh, Native American First Nation populations um, every, time and time again whenever things like this have come to the surface um, they have been one of the uh, hardest hit because they are deemed you know, not part of the United States and so they don't necessarily have the same funding and same resources that even like a state would have in order to help treat their own people. Um, there have and it's not even in terms of just, like, sickness. Like, when we're talking about things like murder investigations, disappearances, kidnappings, abductions, um, First Nations into, uh, First Nations have always um, been, like, extremely higher than average um, on all of these things. And so, um, you know, keeping an eye out for those populations, keeping an eye out for, um, you know, people of color, um, for, you know, just anyone who you think... Might not necessarily have the best access to healthcare. Um, so we're talking about, you know, gig economy workers. We're talking about trans folks. We're talking about um, basically anyone who would not who wouldn't have the genetic luck to sort of um, hop into, you know, a, a career or an industry that would necessarily give them that kind of insurance. And it's hard because even when you do have that kind of insurance right now, like I had ba- a bad back, and it's not like. Like it, I, I would be so screwed if I wasn't covered by insurance right now. And I can imagine so many no, other people. It's,
0: well, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. But e- even when you do have, quote unquote, good insurance, like when I look at when I look at my health insurance on paper, it's really good. But, you know, I'm still having to pay out the But for some exams like my kid had to get a ct because we thought she had to you know go have heart surgery Mm -hmm. and all that and guess what wasn't covered by insurance and now i owe like 10 grand you know so what's the point of having health insurance then if it's It's not going to be covered and then also when my daughter got really sick um back in january we i took her to the er guess what that's another like 10 grand right there
2: yeah it it's I don't it's have ridiculous. about money <laughs> It's ridiculous and um just the way that things are I guess I, I like right now I'm sort of thinking about like the fact that we still have an epidemic of opiate addiction happening oh, in this oh, country.
0: Yeah. Look at Florida and, Florida's perfect for that. I mean well not perfect but you know what I mean I mean it's like
2: yeah Florida West Virginia like, illinois like there's there's like uh there's a really fantastic book that i'm reading right now um i think it's called dreamland and it is a a book that basically covers the head to tail of how of the opiate uh of the current opiate um epidemic and like where it comes from how these cartels are run um who gets it who's affected it's and and i think like nowadays when we think about like emergency response and this sort of stuff like there's a lot of people out there who are in their homes or are maybe in danger of od or something like that and there's just not going to be enough resources to take care of that in addition to what's going on with COVID-19 so oh yeah yeah. my mom's a
0: my mom's a nurse and she works in ICU nurse and she's been telling me because you know you have those patients that come in and You know, claim they're sick, but they just want their fix because they're addicted on opiates, and Mm -hmm. um, they're telling me they can't even—they just to get those people out of their hair to let you know to keep beds open for you know actual COVID patients. They're just giving them their stuff to get them out of there, Mm
2: -hmm. which is
0: that's in one way scary. You know,
2: yeah, it's it's basically um, you you're valuing someone's life over another person's and it's a level of triage that this country is not prepared for That's um not. and we're not and it's 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 pretty crazy um i really recommend the book it's it's called dreamland by um let's see it's on my it's on my iphone <laughs> just a second. dreamland by sam quinones um it's a fantastic it's a really long book but i read like most of it through a 3 a.m. flight from Florida. So <laughs> it's that good is <laughs> basically what I'm trying to say. Um, and yeah, it's uh, even even though I think like everything is kind of going to crap, I think like the best thing that anyone can do in the situation um, is just try your best to look out for everybody else. You know, like we can't necessarily trust – like the powers that be to do their job unfortunately right now so you got to do what we can within yeah. our own communities to try to like look out and take care of one another and be kind like kindness right now i think is one of the most valuable things and um, important behaviors that we can demonstrate to each yeah. other
0: it, it, especially you know grocery store workers and you know, oh my goodness. fast food employees, you know, w- w- whatever gas station employees, you know, whoever, whoever's still working out there. Healthcare employees. It's, um, you know, it's, it's scary that, oh God, I, I don't know, it's, it's just mind boggling to me that it's, and maybe because I just have a different view because of being in Florida and how dumb Florida can be, but just it, at least it's gotten better. But when this first started happening, just the way I see people treating grocery store employees and, you know, even Walmart employees and stuff like that, it's even I don't know. It's I always would try to empathize with them even before this whole pandemic thing, because, you know, they're making crap money They're You know, they probably don't want to be there at all. So why be a piece of crap to them? You know? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And I remember when I was like. We came back and we went to Whole Foods to stock up and um, I thanked a couple of the workers and they were like, they seemed really touched, like almost teary. And I'm like, oh, no, like if you're that emotional about this, like has someone been treating you like, of course, people have been treating you like crap. You must be so tired. No one yeah. worked. I want to like turn around and yell at someone like people be nice. <laughs> like yeah, it,
0: it it just <laughs> blows my mind that um just the way they I, I see them get treated and it's I don't it's frustrating because you know I've been there I think a lot of us have been there when we had those crappy jobs that
2: absolutely you yeah. know
0: made pretty much next to no money and you know I
2: believe I believe everyone should have to work one of those jobs in their life like oh, you yeah. you you need <laughs> you have to because it it I think it instills in a lot of people um the uh the understanding of, I mean, it, it teaches them empathy. And I think that's a very underrated skill. And it yeah. teaches them patience, yeah. <laughs> which is also very underrated.
0: Yeah, it, it's a lot of those like customer facing jobs are so tough. I, I remember th- there are times where I miss having a job like that because just what I do on my day job, it can be very complicated, very very exhausting mentally so so having maybe like because i i I think the job i missed the most that i had growing up was working at a pizza shop i i love the hell working at a pizza shop because it was so easy and fun i mean yeah i made no money but it was just looking back i'm like shit i could do that you know (laughs) go back if i if i didn't care about money it'd be super easy but um i think one of my worst jobs i ever had was working at a call center I don't think I could ever do that again. I'd rather go work at McDonald's than work at a call center ever again.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's tough. I remember, uh, when I first got out of school, um, it was the recession. So I took uh, any jobs I could find. I ended up being, um, brought on as part of a catering crew, uh, for weddings. Um, and that I was basically kind of a person of all trades. So Mm -hmm. I, I, I bartended, I, um, (laughs) I, I, Uh, Learned how to make ganache um, (laughs) in a very small burner um, in the middle of a barn. Wow! This was this was um, back in the day. Like this was when barn weddings were legitimately held in farms and barns because it was cheap, not because it was cool. Oh wow! (laughs) So um, that was it was a lot, and it's just sort of like you. And before that, you know, I've I've taken jobs at. Like, my first job was at an ice cream store. Um, It was a marble, it was a marble slab creamery, um, which is sort of the predecessor to Cold Stone. (laughs) And I, I remember learning so much about that job. And after a while, uh, for a good year, not eating ice cream, like not eating any ice cream, because I was just like, I'm so tired of it. But you learn a lot about Yeah. Oh, man. I've also worked like um, I've also worked on the floor of a Nordstrom's. Like you, you learn a lot about people in retail for sure, especially when you are working fine in fashion and jewelry. No, um, I've my, never
0: worked a retail job. It's it's always been before I started getting into IT. It was always a uh, restaurants or fast food.
2: Retail. It's a. Uh, I mean, it's just like any other comes customer serving like a customer facing service position. You've got some really really bizarre cases sometimes. And then occasionally you just get the nicest darn people coming through and you're like, I like you come back. You don't have to buy anything from me. I just like talking to you Yeah. <laughs> here. Have a free silver charm on me. <laughs> like just, just take this. <laughs> and my
0: very first job was probably one of my most boring jobs was working at a medical records place, d- filing medical records away. Um, 'Cause I have my family, my my mom and dad, they're both in healthcare, a nurse and um uh crap, what does my dad do? What's like the name for it? <laughs> he he I always forget. he works with blood. Um, I always forget the name of it. Like pretty much anything any question you have about blood, he'll know it. Um and um
2: Which ones do vampires like best? <laughs> eh,
0: he'll probably tell you.
2: <laughs> yeah. Which type um, go for
0: (laughs) (laughs) and so it's so it was inevitable because what I'm doing right now I'm in healthcare IT so it's I'm I'm in a I'm fortunate enough to be in a field where yes the the field of healthcare I'm in is being affected by the pandemic but it's not gonna disappear or anything I'm in radiology so it's not a hundred percent needed but it's still needed in places so I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm thankful for that at least but um yeah, it's, I think I was just destined for healthcare for that. I,
2: Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I've spent most of my life like trying not to go into art because it's not <laughs> what my parents wanted me to do. And I guess when you're a kid and you're, you know, I, I grew up in Texas and there wasn't a lot of room for smart people, like the, the idea that you could be academically gifted, but also like artistically inclined, um, like. You, and yeah, being an artsy that. nerd was, like, that's not, like, a thing. I mean, you that was maybe, like, the closest you could get in terms of archetype was maybe, like, that one character from She's All That. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, like, because I, I, I was pushed in and because I was academically inclined, like, there was a lot of expectation for me to go into medicine or law or engineering. And eventually, when I graduated, I was just, like, I'll probably go into law and then i actually worked at law firms and was like this seems miserable this no i don't want to become a lawyer <laughs> and so i worked in tech for a really long time doing like operations i was i was at several startups um oh, nice. you can grind yeah um it, i i can't watch the show silicon valley because that was my life
0: i i've, um, I've heard i've heard that's pretty
2: somewhat accurate i guess it is accurate it's accurate I've worked with people like that. Like my position at these companies was mostly to make sure that people like that didn't set themselves on fire (laughs) (laughs) or, or just basically clean up after them. And after a few years of that, I just decided like I can't take this anymore. Like the level of misogyny and fake progressivism in these spaces is just too much. And so, you know, I, I talked to my partner and, um, we, we both like, came to the conclusion like you know hey why don't you go ahead and pursue um, your dream of being an artist finally and so oh, I am awesome. very very and so I'm very lucky I'm very very lucky I know that a lot of people are not in are not like ha- uh, fortunate enough to be in that position so I try to make the best of it um, yeah. I I you know I still run it like a business as best I can you know I'm not just I'm not making these willy-nilly you know i try to be strategic about what i do and how i invest my time um and it's it's been really wonderful um other than you know the occasional injury but <laughs> everything yeah. else everything else has been um super rewarding and i've been really excited to kind of grow and see what else i can do with this medium well, um, and
0: i think you I mean, not knowing like how you started or anything, but just from what I see, what you post on Twitter, it's very awesome work that you've done.
1: Oh, thank um, you.
0: I, I really like it a lot. It's um, and then plus, I mean, besides the whole pottery thing, the work that you've done in magic as well, too. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, your Lorgoy's podcast. Um, you know, you've been guest appearance on Professor's uh, show or uh, YouTube channel before.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I've uh, I've been I've popped my head in here and there in a few places. I do still write for Card Kingdom, um, and you know I've definitely guested here and there on some things. Um, I do participate in like fundraisers and whatnot, and it's uh it's it's important to me. Like it, it was really tough for me, at least for a little bit, a few months ago when Forsaken came out, and it became it was it was so heartbreaking for me i actually nearly quit magic um but
0: yeah, with, with i can see yeah.
2: that. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people i think um have gotten to their point in their lives with something like magic but i it's but akoria i think has brought new life into this relationship and i'm hopeful and excited to produce more content that relates to this and hopefully like future sets that are just as good
0: Now, I know we're running a little bit long here, and I apologize, but just one more quick question here, Um, speaking about Ikoria. So, I have, um, you know, I've seen some talk on on Reddit and even my friend group that I play EDH with, a lot of them aren't liking Ikoria. They feel like it's sort of a departure from regular Magic sets, and and especially with this whole um, partnership with Toho and the Godzilla cards. Um, Mm kind of makes it feel less magic than ever before you know what are your thoughts on that when people are sort of not liking a lot of the flavor of this
2: um i mean you're uh, i guess first things first your feelings are valid and your opinion is valid um and you are totally not you're totally allowed to not like things um with I can I can certainly see that perspective, especially with Toho um, coming in and whatnot, and how this doesn't necessarily feel as magicy. But I also, I guess, to from my perspective, um, it it makes me happy because because of these things. I like the fact that this set is taking some liberties obviously I'm going to have to withhold my um my full opinion on the set until I played it um, yeah. because mutate looks like like it looks like you're building like a Jenga house of cards situation and you're kind of like oh yeah this is- I, I
0: I really like the complexity of it but on the other hand like my, my buddy uh he's still very brand new to magic to him. It feels mutate feels very complex though. Like, like a little bit too hard for a new player. And I, I worry about that a little bit. I mean, I know arena will make it easy to play mm-hmm. mutate, but yeah. on paper, it's going to get confusing as hell.
2: It, it will. I think it will be easier once we play it. Yeah. I think that, I think that like many mechanics in the past, um, mutate will be simpler once we actually get our hands on it um i i i just i really hesitate to to be like completely down on the set like entirely from that perspective because like we i know that a lot of people and a lot of like more competitive individuals in the community are weighing in on how the how the set looks from a mechanical standpoint et etc cetera, etc cetera. but i i just feel like until we get it like we don't know what's going to be like. Wait, we all thought that Xylon was going to be a really fun limited set, and that was not true.
0: <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. No, it's. I I know exactly what you mean. It's um. I think what's making this spoiler season or preview season a little bit more confusing and maybe a bit more intimidating is because at the same time they're doing Commander previews at the same time yeah. and there's so many times like I'm getting confused as to which is for what set because I'll see a super powerful commander card and it just makes me kind of groan a little bit like I don't want to play against that in standard until I realize oh no that's in commander.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's been it, they could have been I think there could have been more of a of a um what's Separation. the word Demark- yeah demarcation a better yeah. demarcation between the two of them. Um I with again to kind of circle back on your comment about flavor, it's I I think that it's there is an element of camp to this set oh. that not everyone is going to like. I personally love camp. It's one of the reasons why I love Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand and Rift Tracks and why you know, I loved the disaster artist and why I I
0: love that. It was, I I devoured that book and the movie and
2: it's so good. And, and why, you know, like I, I would love to see sharknado. I would love to see sharknado too. I would love to see the subsequent, I think six sequels to sharknado. Like I don't mind. Um, That's sort of my personal thing, but of course not everyone is going to be on the same page for that. For example, like, I've, there's definitely been sets where I'm just like, eh, like, like for example, the latest Theros set. I was kind of like, shrug. <laughs> um, yeah, not it's not a jam, but cool. Not everything. And, and the thing is, like, I also personally kind of always feel like not everything is going to be for me, and I have to I, I have to accept that that's okay. What? But, but
1: it really
0: everything cool. should be for every Magic player. What? no it's i I know exactly what you mean it's my personal feelings on icoria so far is i love it um you know it's it brings out that inner timmy in me that um loves the big dumb creatures because my very first magic deck when i started in urza saga was a mono green worm deck that was terrible
2: oh my gosh yeah my my first the first rare I played and really loved playing with was Phyto Titan and I just loved this big green big smashy mushroom man that would come in and just squish people it was it was super fun and I, I think that's just kind of what what's like at the heart of Aquaria and I I totally get it if people aren't into it and that's totally okay um I, I just I I just really really love it. I love the fact that it's over the top, it's enormous. Um, there is a lot of self-referential, like poking fun at yourself, kind of stuff happening, and it, it does have a very different tone than, say, for example, New Phyrexia or War of the Spark, right, where you basically yeah. have this disaster movie thing. And I think that's and and even if I don't necessarily relate to Some sets that go in that in different directions, I still appreciate the fact that magic can go in those different directions, right? That's what makes it such an amazing game. You can take a setting like um, Gothic Horror Innistrad and uh, make magic happen there. You can take a disaster movie situation and make magic happen there. You can take Godzilla and make magic happen. And Like I, um, so I used to run the San Francisco Bay Area Lady Planeswalkers Society um, chapter here, and every holiday we have a bring-your-own like custom magic decks set, and this uh, or party. And so um, my husband and I, every year, we collaborate on making dual decks. And last year, no, the year before last year, we did um, Hot Fuzz. Uh, Mm -hmm. So just so we did like a Jeskai police versus an Abzan neighborhood watch. And oh, wow. it was it was so much fun. Like we just we just had a blast adapting magic the, the the mechanics in the world of magic to you know um Sanford. And it was and that's kind of the beauty of the game, right? Like you can you can make it go anywhere and it will almost always work. So like why not?
0: Yeah, I, I guess I can see where you're coming from. It's um I mean, oh God, I, I guess I lost my train of thought. But I mean, it 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 really can go in a lot of different directions. I mean, and I like that each set doesn't feel the same as the previous set because I I have a feeling like um, God, what was it? It was it's like oh, what set was it, it was like Kaladesh. Because like, mm-hmm. Kaladesh, and then right after that was Cat right after that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I want to say. But yeah. they, e- even though like two totally different planes, to me, I, maybe that's more of a critique of the artwork because it felt very homogenized. And I feel like oh. na- now we're starting to get back into the part where the artwork is at least feeling very different compared to each set. Yeah. Does that make think
2: sense? Con- yeah, it's like a better contrast might be say like Shadows over Inistrat and then Kaladesh. Like yeah, you remember that yeah. contrast? That was huge. We got tentacles and the moon, and then, and then we've got cute little fox constructs and it's sunny all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's um I don't know. I don't know. I'm super excited about the set. Um I love the Godzilla aspect of it. Um I, I haven't even dived that deep into spoilers or previews um because I'll usually I, I like to try to have first impressions when I do my full set reviews on the podcast um mm-hmm. but it's I don't know, i'm i'm excited about it it's it looks like it'll be fun for draft or sealed for sure
2: yeah and just the aesthetic like like i said it's got it's i love got the
0: comic camp, book feel of some book. of the alternate art too
2: yeah it's so beautiful and it's like like i like it's there's not too far of a separation between like this and this set and godzilla and like and then if you had someone like a drag queen dressed as godzilla or something like that like that would totally <laughs> fit like, like within like the same family of like the the feeling of this set you know it's just it's so it's so it, it's so humorous and there's a lot of fun and there's a lot of heart and uh there's a lot of smashy smash so um it's it's like one of my other favorite uh, planes and sets was like Tarkir. And oh, I, it. It, I oh, love I that, that set it. for very different reasons, right? Like that set, very different than this set, but both have really cool stuff going on. So it's it's going to be good. I'm I'm excited as well.
0: So I, I just quickly Googled to see if there was like a drag queen dressed as Godzilla. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I'm not seeing too much, but there's a...
2: Okay, well, clearly I need to get my friend. So Justin, who is one of the other hosts of the Lord Wives, he is a drag queen and his drag queen persona, her name is Charmin Ultra. Okay. Which is, and um, I should probably ask her if she could do a Godzilla, like, drag thing for a quarry every (laughs) week.
0: (laughs) The only thing I found was, I guess, a podcast Called Dragzilla Queen of the Monsters, or I don't know if that's a name of a episode or something.
2: That, that sounds great. <laughs> oh, can you imagine by
0: Queeks, the Queer Geek Podcast? Okay. Oh, oh, I guess they were talking about the latest Godzilla movie. That's why they.
2: I mean, she. I mean, he came. To, she came to slay. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yay! <laughs> I can certainly see like a glittery Mothra get up. Or um a oh, yeah. very shiny Dora. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, definitely Mothra. Um I'd like to see a Mecha Godzilla drag Queen cosplay there you go. Oh my goodness.
2: Well, know. I'm gonna have to tweet about this later because <laughs> this is clearly something that needs to happen. <laughs> like just be, drag it'd, it'd be kaiju.
0: Dragon Kaiju, yes, and then <laughs> and then there also has to be my forgotten buddy, Gamera. Because everyone yes. forgets Gamera.
2: Everyone forgets Gamera. And poor Rodan. Rodan always gets, like, forgotten. Um, uh,
0: well, I mean, well, Rodan, at least Rodan doesn't always die like Mothra in every single movie.
2: <laughs> but Mothra comes back. Like, well, she's never gone for long.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. It's it's always, but Mothra, the, the larvae, are, are actually the better ones than actual Mothra herself.
2: It's true, but she's so pretty, though.
0: She is, she is. It's, um, yeah it's my grandfather is one who got me into Godzilla as a kid and it'd be like the thing we do is go rent a movie yes kids there used to be something we'd rent movies go to a shop and rent movies and (laughs) and but it would always be like the same Godzilla movies it'd be the first one Godzilla versus Mothra King Ghidra and um, one of the Mecha Godzilla ones I don't know how many times I've seen them all oh
2: they're so good
0: oh yeah they're just so good yeah, I recently did like a whole rewatch of every single Godzilla movie in preparation for the one that came out last year. Um, holy yeah. crap. I, I forgot like how and this is going to sound bad, but there's a lot of the ones that are just straight up boring when they're like the human portions of the stories are just so just bad.
2: Through the humans, just fast forward through the humans. Oh, get to the monsters.
0: Exactly. Oh my! So that—that's what I would always do as a kid. But as an adult, I'm like, okay, let me let me see if they really were as bad. If I remember, I'm like, oh yeah, they're bad. <laughs> e- e- even like the '90s ones, because the '90s is where the more iconic Godzilla imagery is, at least oh,
2: yeah. nowadays.
0: But even some of there, it's boring as hell. Like holy that's crap! A of,
2: that's a lot of fish. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a lot of fish.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh! You're talking about the the um the
2: 90s, yeah, the 90s Godzilla movie that was like Godzilla, oh, yeah. a hermaphrodite who laid a bunch of eggs and I, then I try like runs The one. way through the High Chrysler Building.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I I loved um the American Godzilla's cameo in Godzilla Final Wars.
2: Oh, so good.
0: That that was great. How Godzilla just killed it right away. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, um, God, yeah, it's, it's just, sorry, I lost my train of thought, but it's just, I, I, I love, so yeah, I, I love this set, I love the monsters, I clearly need to make more kaiju stuff soon, um,
0: especially with Ikoria coming out and even make some of the, the more iconic, um, monsters in this set too, I don't even know who they are yet, but
2: well, that cat nightmare is pretty cool. Um, and that that nightmare squirrel is also pretty pretty dope.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, I saw that. Yeah. And so, you also... How long have you been doing the Lorgoyfs now?
2: So, I've been doing the Lord Wives, Um I was asked to be part of the first cast back in 2017. Okay. And we've been we've been holding it together by hook or by crook for the past three years. Yeah. It's been a journey for sure. Like, um, we started off, uh, just the four of us in, um, our friend's studio and then our friend moved away and we've been trying to figure out how to record remotely. And then we started like figuring out how to record at my house. We had some cast changes as you do because podcasts
1: yeah,
2: and, um, Eventually, you know, we got to the point where, you know, we're always recording at my house to go to dinner afterwards. It's a thing. And I, we finally got our first preview card. I know. Uh, that's in-
0: awesome. Yeah.
2: Uh, well, when Dominari, we got our first. Oh, preview
0: oh, oh card. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about now. Yes.
2: No, uh, we're also very excited about that. <laughs> one. Don't get me wrong. But like the first one we got was song of Fraley's and like, Holy Ooh, heck. That's such that a good one. Oh, so good. We saw it. And we're like, this is a it was a saga. It was crazy, awesome It had that beautiful, beautiful art. It's frailies. like there's just no end to like the, I think it's probably one of the best cards we've ever gotten. although this card, mechanically speaking, like from a spike perspective, is, I think, one of the strongest pieces of removal we have seen in years. So um I
0: do not like the art though. I hate it
2: no i i'm not (laughs) gonna lie i was kind of triggered by the art (laughs) i was like i can't i cannot personally stand cruelty to animals um i i get very angry about it especially
0: with it being a big cat too that's um
2: Big, big fluffy beautiful cat um my god how do the monsters on this plane stay so beautifully fluffy like who grooms them do they get combed is it like a tree that they comb themselves against because that does happen in the wild but um yeah that this card is just i i'm of two minds very very different minds about it so good but so bad
0: yeah no um, I, I know exactly what you yeah. mean no it's um no it's cool because um it, dominaria was my first set that i got a preview card too i got adventurous impulse oh um, nice that was a good card but it's a um, good card no, that, that's, um, yeah, that, yeah, I'm it's, sorry, I'm just looking at the art and I'm just like, I hate it. I hate the art. I kind of feel bad for Ryan Pankos because it's like, was he meant, was he supposed to draw the art that way? <laughs> like, was yeah,
2: he? No, there's like an art direction job that where they tell the artist exactly like the kind of feel and tone they want. And so he did it. Um, He did apologize. <laughs> but. God. But but yeah no we were like I, we when we got the card we were like oh yeah we got an Akoria card let's look at the card oh no <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been so hard for us like the past few we- days like seeing everyone like oh the kitty is so great oh the kitty oh kitty's- no
0: you knew the whole time
2: <laughs> and I'm sitting here like yeah the kitty's really cute oh no. <laughs> 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 so it's been like ah, <laughs> it's like one of those like fake smiles you got on your face because you have to pretend to stay happy. <laughs> when, yeah. when you know when you know it's like. Uh. But you know, um, the Lord, Waves, you know we've gone through a lot. We've uh, worked really hard to be where we are. We're so lucky. Um, to have a listeners that we do, you know, we're not like the most popular podcast, but we have some hardcore fans. Oh, and that's awesome.
0: I mean, that's all you can ask for, too.
2: Yeah. And, I mean, like, Hard Kingdom continues to sponsor us, and honestly, they're like that's the best That's really sponsors. awesome. Yeah, they're the best sponsors anyone could ask for, um, and we're so lucky to be part of that community as well. So It makes um,
0: me jealous that, um, well, well, hold on, let me strike <laughs> that. It's not that I'm jealous of you guys. It, it makes me jealous that it feels like all the really cool people are over on the West Coast, while Florida doesn't have that much, you know? I mean, we've got, um... Crap, what's his name for Magic Mike? I'm drawing a blank. Um,
2: Fourth? Oh, um... um
0: who... Evan. Who works at Cool Stuff. Um, God, He's the main... Evan ho- yeah, Evan. Evan Irwin. I mean, yeah, we got him. Yeah. Um, I don't... Can't think of... Oh, no, uh, Kendra, the Maverick girl, she's over here, too. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, I mean, but it's like you guys got Card Kingdom over there. I mean, I've seen I've seen the like the photos of the whole shop, and I'm like, I wish my LGS was like that. Crap, I could tell you some stories of, or I can tell you some horror stories of Florida-based LGSs. Oh my gosh. It's,
2: I mean, Card. I, I will. S- I have never met a single person from Card Kingdom, and who Card Kingdom is associated with, who I've disliked who I've ever um, like had any bad experiences with, Yeah, they are, they are like one of the most heartfelt best run companies as a whole I have ever seen. Um, oh, that's good. And I, I, I'm just speaking from like my perspective, not just as a person who really likes games, but also as a person who has helped run businesses, um, small businesses. And this they are they are good people not only are they good people but um, they are smart about what they do they are willing to take risks um i I really hope that everything is okay with them um, especially like yeah. every yeah. every LGS right now is hurting. I am also very lucky in San Francisco that my LGS is extremely supportive and lovely. Um, Gamescapes in San Francisco, if you're ever in San Francisco, I recommend going to them um, over versus <laughs> sorry, versus. <laughs> um, but I, you know, we we even though like I might be the one of the few only women in that shop, like we have taken many, many pains to keep the magic community within that shop as open and progressive and kind as possible. And we've k- taken also remarkable steps to keep our bathrooms as clean. <laughs> and, and
0: that, as, You don't you even know, understand how important that part <laughs> is, too. Because now, when, when I say there's like, now we have some good Florida based companies here. Like we've got Next Ridge Games, which is really good in Tampa. And then Cool Stuff Games, they've got an Awesome shop in Brandon, which is just south of Tampa, and then another one in um, Orlando. They really, really good, but there is a high density of very bad LGSs here that I I could tell you some stories off the air that would just yeah. make your toes curl.
2: <laughs> it's it, it's definitely kind of um, a big shock. Like I didn't realize how lucky I had it after having. Gamescape and Card Kingdom in my life until I went to like a few LGSs on the East. Uh, it wasn't, I'm not trying to say that all East Coast LGSs are like this. It was just a couple of the ones I, I went to in Jersey, <laughs> but of course, Jersey. Um, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> on the other hand, I'm like, what were you thinking? It's Jersey. Um, but I, I, it was like the first time like someone spoke to me and assumed that I didn't know very much about the game because of my gender. And it was really weird. It was really, really, really weird. And I, you know, like, I'm not as prolific as a professor or anyone like that. But I was also just kind of like, okay, you clearly don't know my content. You don't know who I am. I mean, that's okay. But, like, this is really condescending. And I don't, like, I try not to, like, throw, like, my creds on the table or anything like that. And it would be like, do you know who I am and what I've done?
1: No, but still, it's, um...
2: yeah, it's it's just like the there's we we still have a long way to go, and I'm happy that there are so many good people like you and and like within Wizards and another like local game stores around the world that are doing their best to keep this game as inclusive and welcoming as possible because this is what makes the game thrive um, over time. It's it's having everyone um, have a seat at the table. And uh, yeah, to feel comfortable yeah. playing.
0: It, it, it is a great thing to see because it's, I've told this to my kids, is growing up, if, so growing up, if you were found out that you played video games, you'd be made fun of. And then if you found, if your video game friends found out you were playing games like Magic or d d they would make fun of you. Sort of like this hierarchy of nerd nerdery and geekery. Oh,
1: absolutely. I guess. Yeah.
0: And the way that it's so accepted now, like my my oldest, she was in a and d club last year. And, um, you know, it, it, me in high school, you'd, you'd be caught dead playing D&D. And all that. <laughs> it's you couldn't even tell people you played it or else, you know, they one think you're satanic and two, they, you know, get beat up and all that. Um, <laughs> so yeah. it's, it it's crazy. And I feel like there's just so many people that hang on to that they they try to hang on to that old mentality of they don't want anyone else playing with them where it's like yeah, it's, it's
2: yeah it's a super gatekeeper thing i think that it yeah. just comes out of it comes out of a fear i think of like i a lot of this like happened during GamerGate and a lot of really like in 2014 as you probably remember a lot of really interesting um analysis and literature kind of came out of that whole situation um especially when it came to sort of psychologically understanding what the heck this whole like instinctive fight or flight reaction of these individuals were like i mean the best way i can understand it is that you know the, these were mediums in which this particular group of people felt safe in for a while and so they claimed ownership over that yeah. and so some- having that space change is very scary for them. And so they're against anything that could have that. I mean, this had reverberations, not just within gaming, but within science fiction and fantasy and speculative fiction as well. Um, and then and then it kind of echoed that again through magic. We had that whole issue um, back in like 2016, maybe 2015 with like Sprank's um, being uh, deciding to leave the community for a while, um, because of harassment. And even now, like MTG nerd girl, um, just put up. Oh yeah. I
0: saw that. That's, that's insane.
2: Yeah. And, and that's still a thing. I mean, I'm proud of, you know, my fellow community members who actively stand up against this sort of behavior and do what they can to encourage again, an inclusive and welcoming environment. Um, uh, it, there's still more to be done there, but the game deserves a higher caliber of behavior, <laughs> and oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy that there are people who are are working towards that.
0: You know, it, you know that brings up a good question that I want to ask you. So, someone like me, you know, who, pretty, you know, straight white male, right? Um, mm-hmm. when I see a lot of that stuff happening, it's a lot of times. You know, I feel like I want to speak up or say something like, hey, you know, hey, people, we need to stop. But a lot of times to me, that feels kind of useless, like I'm just speaking into the void where uh, no one's going to listen to me or anything. Who cares what I have to say type thing? So w- what's something that you know? W- what's some advice you could give to someone like me or to other people who may feel that way, too, who don't like seeing that behavior, but feel like if they say anything, it's nothing's going to change.
2: I don't think that you are um, – change is such a big concept, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: as an individual, you there is very little that you can do in order to affect that change, but the little that you can do will eventually build, right? So if you speak out against this, if another person speaks out against this, more and more and more people point out the unfairness, the injustice, the um, evil of the situation. That is how perspectives change and that is how we um, adapt and progress as as a community and as a culture. Um, so I don't think that you're speaking into the void when um, you decide to speak out against this stuff. It means that you are using your privilege and your platform and your voice to um, let other people know that this is wrong. Um, and that's one way you can can help. Uh, another way you can help is by promoting um, marginalized voices within the community. You know, people who are not necessarily going to be what you would consider the um, usual suspects of magic. Um, people, women, um, people of color, um lgbtqia folks i mean these are in these are people who are routinely um shunted aside or or treated less than in society um you know pointing out some of the cool stuff they do or um highlighting their work that i think also really helps normalize and um point out in its own clear way to individuals out there that you are a supporter and an ally of this person enough to even spend the 30 seconds or whatever just to type out a tweet or even just retweet them um it it doesn't seem like a lot but i think that with the exception of say being in charge of i don't know um entire swaths of government or (laughs) (laughs) or like i don't even know like if you were maybe like in charge of like a company or whatever i i think as an individual yeah you're i don't think you should be expected the average individual should not be expected to create enormous change however that doesn't mean that that person shouldn't try to make any small changes that they can does that make sense
0: no i I see what you mean it's sort of like what is it ripples in a pond or something like that how they get bigger.
2: bigger but it's also just an individual thing right it it becomes like a moral ethical decision um if you have the opportunity to better like to make something better for someone and to you know speak out then um use that power you know like why not use the opportunity even if you think that it's not much like it will it will grow and you will have done, I believe the ethically correct thing.
0: (laughs) So I I see what you're getting from. It's, you know, using the MTG nerd girl thing as a example, it's, um, you know, and I'm not saying I tolerate that behavior or anything, but it's, it it would almost feel like just from my perspective, if I were to like retweet, say, Hey, you know, we need to be better. We need to stop this almost, almost kind of feels like it's coming off as pandering. I, 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 and not that I want to come off that way. I want to feel like I'm being genuine. But mm-hmm. it's also, you know, in terms of my platform, I mean, you look at my platform compared to hers. It's I'm so small compared to hers. And,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, how, how would that help? I, I, I guess I, I think I'm trying. I don't know if I'm making sense or
2: Yeah, no, you're making sense. OK, Um, I think it's even though your platform is not as big, it's still yours. Yeah. And you get to decide what you want to do with it. Um, and if I think that maybe focus less on the overall impact of, of what might happen if you decide to tweet it and think internally about why you would want to do such a thing. And if those reasons are compelling enough, then maybe you should do it um, and not worry too much about whether or not this is going to get a ton of traction (laughs) Um, yeah no yeah yeah i like don't i think that goes for a lot of these situations where it's basically like especially within social media i if you don't take a stand um i think that it's fair to assume that you don't have a standard you agree with the person this was definitely evident during like the situation with reed duke and owen turtenwald etc cetera, etc cetera. Oh, i don't yeah jesus <laughs> so so like actively taking a stand and letting people know where what you believe in um i think is more internally ethically correct um and also it's just a through line of being ethically correct internally and externally um, than, than not. So it's uh, I don't think it's pandering. I think it's just, you know, letting people know this is where you stand and they can take it that or leave sense. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I, I do all of my tweets, honestly. Like I don't I never t- complain about like losing followers or anything like that because I'm like, this is who I am. You can take it. You can leave it. Please don't be a Russian bot. Um, You know do what you will
0: <laughs> no no <laughs> I, I i see what you mean and, and that's and that's good to know and, and at least it helps me out because um one of the things i mean you probably know I, i'm addicted to twitter you know you're on twitter a lot too it's, it's i'm addicted
1: to twitter. <laughs> the,
0: the amount of drama that can happen in the magic community can get very overwhelming and very tiring at the same time mm-hmm. and it's there's and especially last year that was affecting me a lot so i've been sort of like i did like this whole cultivating of just people i was following and just stopped following a lot of people and then started slowly adding people back on and it's i feel like my timeline is a lot better now now that i'm not following like you know, when when people get into content creation, they understand like, yeah, you want to get big, you want to get popular, and all that stuff, blah blah blah. Um, but now it's gotten to a point where it's like, I don't give a crap anymore. if, You know, my podcast gets big or not, it's like it it is what it is. If it gets bigger, awesome, cool. If not, I'm fine. But I'm at a point now where I don't want to see all that drama all the time. But mm-hmm. and I, I guess I guess that's why I was sort of asking those questions because there's a lot of times I don't see a lot of that stuff, like the whole MTG nerd girl, I would have never even seen that had someone not retweeted her or anything. Mm. It's so, you know, for someone like that, for me, cause you know, I mean, should, should you even comment on everything? Like take a stand for every little thing that you see happen? Not I mean, cause it's not
2: really like I, I, um, my personal relationship with social media. Um, is, born out of this especially when it comes to this is born out of like this I do have a strong sense of morals and ethics when it comes to like who and what I should engage with um, yeah. if if I see someone bashing or threatening the trans community the LGBTQIA community people of color women I immediately will like say something because I because I, this is what I believe in. And I don't really like, it's great that I have people following me who can stand witness to that. But I also, like I said before, this is my platform. This is the power that I have, and I will choose to use it this way. Um, and so it's really just about like, again, like making sure that you set your expectations about, what you're hoping to achieve with your social media accordingly um like for me i just want this to be a way for me to um engage with and advocate like engage with people as myself i want to be able to advocate for and fight for people um i want to be able to highlight people who i think are cool um and it's and yeah you sometimes you got to pick and choose your battles like i didn't say anything about the the adorable little otter because i don't have anything to say about the little otter other than it's cute like this ground has been tread upon like over and over again but uh, it's like i guess i've chosen like these are the hills upon which i stand for yeah i see what you mean i stand for like feminism and lore and um civil rights and stuff like that um other things like commander stuff like i you know there's a lot of smart people in that room they don't need me
0: you know yeah that's how i feel especially when that whole like competitive edh and regular edh was going on like i don't even know i'm, I'm not even going to comment anything because there's people that are way smarter than i am to <laughs> make mention of that
2: yeah, there are people who are literally being paid to do this, so I'm just not going <laughs> to get yeah. into that.
0: Yeah, so I, but, I see what you mean with that. It's um, I, I guess that makes me feel a little bit better because it's I hate seeing crap like that. And, you know, it, it brings to, because my wife likes to do streaming online and just, holy crap,
2: <laughs> the yeah. amount
0: of DMs that she gets is just ridiculous. Oh, my God. I mean, that's on, like, a completely different pat- platform. It's insane. Yeah. It's,
2: it's it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's just, um, it's so, um, and, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, it can be really useful to to publicly state that, even though. You think you're screaming into the void? I mean, it's Twitter. We're all screaming into the void. I mean, from an existential perspective, we're all screaming into the void. What is life, really?
0: (laughs) It's Animal Crossing right now. (laughs) It's Animal Crossing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Gotta get that turnip spike, man.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's right. I gotta sell my turnips.
2: (laughs) What is life, turnips? It's the Um, stock market. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Um, but I, I hope that's helpful. Like, like you, you get to, like, I, I scoffed at this a lot when I was in the corporate world, there was like this whole seminar on public, on a personal branding. And I was like, Oh, that's so corporate, whatever. And then of course, now that I'm in social media, I'm like, damn it. I kind of wish I took that course because, um, I've kind of had to figure this out all the hard way. Like, what does, what do I stand for? Um, what do I want people to know me for in this community? And so I'm going to go ahead and make sure that that is reflected in my messaging and what I want to say. And it's, it's not like, it's like you're putting your piece of yourself out there. And at least for me, it's important to make sure that that is like as accurate as possible, And I hope that you find that now that we're talking in person. <laughs> um, well, no, no.
0: And, and that makes sense because I, I think that's important for a lot of content creators is finding your identity out there because it's and, and it's tough. It's hard because especially when you get into this game, you know, like I said before, everybody wants to, quote unquote, make it. But what is their definition of making it? Um, yeah. And a lot of people would be like, well, I want to be as popular as the professor, right? Well, not everyone's going to get that way. And it's also you, you also don't want to be fake as well.
2: Yeah, you have to, you have to be in this. You got to be in the game because you love the game. And I'm not just talking about magic. I'm talking about the game of content creation. You got to do it because you love it. You got to do it because doing it makes you happy. Um, and you got to do it because you got to believe in yourself. Um, it's, and you got to be smart about it. There's, there's so many different things by the end of the day. If your goal is like, I want to be like the professor, like he works so hard. Like I've worked with him, I've worked for him and he like, he just he hustles man like every day in order to do what he did uh, do what he does he doesn't take breaks for himself really
1: yeah
0: and, I, I remember when i had him on the podcast was it two years ago just yeah talking to him like holy crap i would not want to do that <laughs> to be honest it's i, I kind life. of enjoy my time off and all that
2: <laughs> it, it's his life he's committed to putting out this much content and this is I mean, in some part, it makes him happy. And I don't think yes, that he, you, you know, yeah. But at the same time, like, he didn't get into this to get big. He just, that became a side effect. And I think that's what's really important, too. Like, when we started the Lord Wipes, I, we were like, hey, what's like, we, we kind of actually sat down and we were like, okay, what are our goals here? Like, what's realistic? Let's, so our goal was basically like, if we can make this a regular thing, that's a success. We didn't even <laughs> think about like a preview card. Like if we can record on the regular, that would be great. And you know what? That's really hard to coordinate five people's schedules to make it so you can record weekly. It's not easy.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, it's it's like trying to get a D and D game together every week.
2: Oh Jesus. No, (laughs) (laughs) but, but yeah, like you've got to, you've got to be realistic. You've got to know what you're getting in the game for. And it's, um, it's so, it's it's tricky. And uh oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And um I, I the I, I retweeted an article today um from Emma. Emma Partlow, mm-hmm. the about magic content creation, mental health. Really good read. I don't know if you've read it yet.
2: Yeah, i I've been um I it's I, I literally opened the tab and then I got distracted by the aquaria story.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it's good and um it's it, it's something that I think a lot of us content creators Feel, especially during this pandemic because we're sort of like at this perfect time where a lot of us are working from home or we're not working and especially with content creators you feel like okay now I have all this time to now I can make all this content and it's like
2: that's such bullshit right because yeah. like sorry pardon my French but like like we are as a, as a species right now like facing one of the biggest threats ever and I think that we all collectively have a right to mourn and be scared yes. and have fear eating into our productivity and figure out how to, how to exist in, in this new world. Like that, that's not going to happen overnight. Just because you're working from home doesn't mean that you can be more productive. Like that doesn't. Oh,
0: oh no, I a hundred percent agree, <laughs> but you can't help but see, you know, there's still a lot of the other content. They're still doing a lot of stuff. Some are doing way more than they used to. And, but there's that fear of missing out. Like, well, if I'm not doing it, then they're going to get ahead or, you know, it's,
2: it's not. Yeah. I, I, I used to feel that way, not necessarily about content creation, but about like networking at GPs and like, Oh, am I, can I, am I going to be like in the right place in the right time to like hang out with this person? Oh, am I going to get invited to the right party? Um, in order to like chat with someone and after a while i just sort of was like you know what like it'd be cool to do that but ultimately like whatever happens happens i also started doing the thing where i just start grabbing people and then we all go to a. am like you know what if i can't i'm just going to take control of the situation and like just create my own dinner party but um and then just just have just change the metric from like being networky to like having a good time because yeah. when you have a good time you meet amazing people and you form crazy awesome friendships that way and that's a lot more rewarding than sitting around hoping that i don't know <laughs> cam from letting ready run will eventually notice you and like hang out although he's he's great and we hung out but he's i i get that and it's like oh yeah yeah it's because it's... it's real but it's like it's it's something you can you can control. Like Yeah. You you can you can take care of it.
0: Oh no, for sure. Like um like I've met some really good friends doing this content creation. You know, like I'm um, I part of the Tin Street hooligans with John Dunning and Pixie Kitten and all them. Oh, it's
2: yeah. They're I, great.
0: I, I love that. And then Pixie Kitten and I are now doing our own little podcast together and we're having so much fun with that called Magic for Normies um
2: oh, that's amazing
0: it's um it's so much fun and we play stupid little games like um we have you ever seen the Netflix show Billy on the street?
2: Uh no, I haven't.
0: So he plays these random games with people on the street in New York and um one of the games is or or that Pixie came up with is called like Normie or X. So you have to ask these questions really fast and determine whether it's a normie or whatever. So the last episode we did was normie or godzilla. So you say a statement, is it a like a normie magic player or Godzilla like loves to eat buildings? Okay, that's Godzilla. Keeps a keeps, you know, a no land hand. Okay, that's a normie.
2: That's amazing. (laughs)
0: And and you have like you have to answer it in split second really fast. It's so much fun.
2: That sounds really, really fun.
0: (laughs) So I've been having tons so you're right. It's it's really I've got to a point now where it's just about having fun, and you know what happens, happens. It's I don't care after that, you know.
2: And the thing too about the internet is that things change so quickly. So it's it's totally cool to like just not be around for a little bit because you'll you'll come back in later. It's fine. Yeah. You'll be fine. It's just it's just Twitter. It really is. It's just Twitter. <laughs> but it's so addicting. I know, but it's <laughs> I. I I so I did get perma from Twitter once after speaking out oh, I about that. <laughs> And and that was actually a really interesting experience but I think one of the benefits I got was like
0: That was the turf thing you said or something thing. or I
2: I threatened to throw transphobic radical feminists off the my personal demisquera. Oh,
0: yeah, that's right. That's right.
2: Yeah. that's right. That's right. Yeah. And I don't know, (laughs) but I'm back anyway. um, But it just, it occurred to me like, you know what? Even if I didn't have Twitter, I still have so many friends. I still have a home. I still have a bank account. I still have books. I got my cats. Like there's a world outside of this too. And like, if the worst thing that's going to happen to me is that my Twitter account got perma banned, that's okay. Like, i can make a new one and go on from there it's fine i have to start over but it's okay like at least i still have the things that are really important to me
0: it's very very true true. and i think that is a good place to end it off because we're at two hours and 40 (laughs) minutes holy crap (laughs) it has just flown by thank you for staying with me for this long holy crap um
2: of course yeah this is fun
0: so where can people find you online
2: Great. So you can find me on Twitter at Potter. Um, it took me a long time to come up with a magic-related pottery thing. <laughs> so <laughs> super excited about that one. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at Potter. Um, if you'd like to reach out to me for inquiries or anything like that, you can hit me up at kilnfiendpottery at gmail.com. I'm also on the Lord Uh, We are a comedy Vorthos podcast that's spelled L o r e g o y f s, um, and I also write for Card Kingdom. Um, I recently did a, um, we we I recently wrote a story with the Lorgroys for Lumeria, which was their second uh, cube, I think, which was super super cool. So you can check that out. Um, and I also recently wrote a um, fanfic for for Theros Beyond Death because there was no story for Theros oh, Beyond. Yeah, it's on mtgstory.com, um, I think, uh, or it's under Carrie. Um, if you check out, um, I guess, uh, Carrie from formerly of the Vorthos cast, um, they did have a page where they were um, asking for people to submit oh, fan fiction. Okay. So I submitted fan fiction, and you can probably find it somewhere if you just look it up. Um, but it, it's it's about um, Clothis and her creation of... Um, her her planeswalker so it's pretty cool oh,
0: that's cool and so where yep. can you find Lorgoyf? so uh, what platforms
2: um, so you can find us in soundcloud uh, we are also available on stitcher on any really um, any podcast app that you want to download if you look if you look up lorgoyf's um, you can see our logo it's a big green lorgoyf with glasses reading a book um, that's us <laughs> So, uh, yeah, just check, check us out. Um, and hopefully once operations at card kingdom start running again, if you order from them, you can ask for a a Lord sticker and they'll pop one in for you. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. Thank you for taking time out of your night to chat with me about everything.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was a pleasure. Um, I had a lot of fun. I, I, I hope, you also had fun oh
0: yeah for sure um i learned a learned a lot especially about pottery that's for sure
2: oh yeah no it's it's a really fascinating art totally recommend um if you ever want to try out making pottery like do it it's super forgiving super fun Get your hands dirty
0: well it would be i mean we before the pandemic we did have some art studios around here but who knows what it'll be like after everything starts opening up
2: once it ends, like, definitely go out there, get your hands dirty, make a pot, make a big mug, yeah. fire, it, drink some coffee.
0: <laughs> might give it a shot. Heck, might even be fun for the kids, too.
2: Oh, yeah, I know. It's great for kids.
0: Oh no, Well, awesome. Well, thank you again and have a great night, okay?
2: Okay. Thank you so much and take care. Thank you. Thank you, you so too. much for me.
0: Thank you, everybody, for listening to that episode and watching the episode if you were happy to watch it on YouTube. Uh, Michelle was really great to have on. It did go on a little bit longer. It just, kept on going and it i can't believe it it didn't even feel that long of an episode to be honest it just the two and a half hours just flew by without even noticing so thank you again for listening hope you all really appreciated and and enjoyed it as much as i did and thank you again michelle for coming on and i'm probably going to have her on again for an rpg companion episode so look out for that in the future so thank you thanks again for watching and listening and hope you all have a great day